You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco and Fonz DeFalco here in the studio. Guys, hello and welcome. Great to be back here on Review and Preview. It's always some good stuff here, Tom. Excited for uh, tonight's show. Yeah, um, it's going to be a great show tonight, James. Welcome as well. i uh, not the biggest fan of the Islanders jersey in the background, but of course your buddy James Walsh is. <laughs> Uh, kudos to you guys and uh, we'll get some hockey in just a moment so quick rundown what we're going to talk tonight uh first off you can like us subscribe to us watch our podcast here on uh facebook live at review and preview sports our new tag is review and preview sports we are no longer review and preview liu you can follow us on facebook and instagram at review and preview if you have any fan questions, feel free to comment in the feed. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And, guys, this is our 100th podcast of Review and Preview. So 100th show since we've started podcasting. Uh, really looking forward to tonight, guys. And, of course, follow us on the anchor.fm slash Review and Preview. You can catch the full audio version. Can't wait. We're going to have Jordan Spurgeon on tonight. He's going to be joining us to talk about the AFC all-decade teams around 810, 815 p.m., Really looking forward to this one. So without further ado, uh, let's get the show rocking and rolling. Fonz, by the way, shout out JDF. Got the ice shaker uh, water bottle. It's great. Look at that. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Definitely with the JDF logo on there, too. Shout out to you, Alec Walt and Fitz for uh, orchestrating that. Shout out to Kevin Xavier, Kevin Mondello, Jake Bukowski joining the live stream, uh, Jordan Spurgeon as well. So on Tuesday, the MLB Players Association, they've been butting heads over the last couple of months. And finally, uh, well, they agreed to a 60-game season, uh, which will consist of opening day occurring approximately around July 24th. There will be a 10-team playoff format. And report date to training camps will be on July 1st. Uh, James, you will go over what MLB put out today regarding uh, the social. You know, there's going to be a couple of different things. I know the yeah. San Francisco Giants, they're going to put uh, kind of like cardboard fans up in the stands or something. It's going to be, uh, yeah, they it's going to be rather interesting. Yeah, they asked all their season ticket holders to send them a uh, picture of themselves. Um, they can put it in, I guess, in their seats, in a sense. So that that should be funny to see. <laughs> I know, um, and a lot of Mets fans are excited. They cannot lose 60 games this season for the very first time. So definitely, as a Mets fan, all, all three of us here are Mets fans. I mean, we yeah. can't sugarcoat that. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting. Um also talk about what the New York governor is putting in place or has put in place from places like Florida and the Carolinas and other states, how this will impact the MLB. There's definitely going to be restrictions. James, uh, anything of note that you've noticed over the last couple of days that's caught your uh, attention? Um, biggest one, uh, I'll go over the guidelines after this. the biggest one was um, when the governors of 
Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York came together and possibly said, oh, we might do like a 14-day quarantine. People that come from Florida, Texas, all the big new hot spots in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unfortunate to see it. Um, Hopefully everybody there gets well soon. But as I continue, um, this is going to be quite challenging Mm -hmm. for at least the Mets and the Yankees um, and Boston, if we're reaching all the way up that far. Um, because the Mets have a, have teams down south, um, I, like we play Port St. Lucie. Yep, the Marlins, uh, the Yankees play Tampa. So there's teams from down south because they're doing it with the. Uh, I think they're doing 40 games of their division yep. and 20 outside games. So that means a lot of games with the Yankees. Um, so then this comes into play with now the governor's putting that a 14 day quarantine. How does this affect now MLB players that are coming from those hot spot States up to a state like New York, that's doing phenomenal with the numbers, um, with not having that many coronavirus, uh, patients. Um, so I really want to see how that goes because that's something now MLB has to look at because, you look at it, it's not now the whole country. It's now individual states putting in regulations for people that come from those hot spot states. Right. Um, also, to piggyback off of that, um, this morning, I think around 10, 11, MLB did come out um, with combating COVID-19. Um, I did put that up on our page if you guys would like to read it, share it, get some knowledge. Um, I'm just going to sum it up pretty much for everybody. Um the players and personnel will be tested every other day. Uh, players will receive temperature slash uh, symptom check mm-hmm. checks twice per day. Uh, players, personnel, not participating in games will sit in the stands. So we will have people in the stands that ain't fans. It will be um, players and whatnot, but they'll be six feet apart. So they'll have big gaps within the, uh, the seats. Um, antibody testing will be conducted at least once a month to see if, uh, players do, uh, have antibodies against it. Um, there will be a COVID-19 related injured list. Interesting. So that should be interesting because now say, um, you know, one player comes down with COVID, they'll go on that COVID-19 injured list. I would like to see what they do if they could bring up somebody or how that kind of gets into play. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more about that come within the month. Um, Also any player who tests positive for COVID-19 will not be allowed to return until he tests negative twice. Interesting. So you have that 14 day period after that 14 day period, you'll get tested. If you still have it, you still stay quarantined. It seemed like if you don't, you're still good. You, You can good. You're good but I'm sure they'll wait, have a waiting period to then test them once again to see if it comes back negative again. So definitely something interesting considering it's a 60-game season, and if you're already sitting out for 14 days, um, and then if not more, depending if you come back positive again, that's pretty much the whole season for you. Um, if your team doesn't make the playoffs, of course. Um, right, yeah. So that's something quite interesting to see i want to see how like the governor was full open city field yankee stadium is spring training come july 1st looking forward to that that's actually next wednesday if Mm -hmm. i'm correct 
Um, so MLB um, has a lot of things to now juggle. They got one thing solved. They got a lot of other things to get solved, in my opinion. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Funds, you can take the floor. I mean, realistically, my only thought on that is it's shout out Jay Mirabeau for the comment and Kevin Mondello as well on the live stream. Uh, always, always a pleasure uh, shouting out the fans on the live show. Real, realistically, I still think it's going to be a mess. I think rosters are shaping up. You look at an NBA roster, a roster that doesn't consist of many guys, they're even at a worse disadvantage where if a guy catches it, the whole team gets it, they can't play. So then yeah. what happens? That's why I think having that safety protocol in there is very pivotal to the season. Uh, well, for MLB, it's the season just started in general. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, the throwing in there together after weeks of going back and forth, we finally somewhat have a stability with a season, 60 games, but it's kind of going, right, we're going to start up next month. Everyone's here. This is the plan we're going to do. I mean, it's good with the safety uh, precautions, having the testing. You said, what, every other every other day they're going to do testing. Every other day, yep. Uh, maintain social distancing, wearing a mask. I mean, I, I guess doing the whole uh, shebang here, but this they have to get it done because they were, you know, Players and owners wanting to get a season done. This is what the best they can do after literally months of debating back and forth. So, you know, this is what's going to happen here. Yeah. And as more information comes out, I'll share it to our pages, of course, um, for everybody to keep up to date with it. We're definitely looking forward to that. Let's get down um, some NBA news as well. We're going to transition into that. So with the MLB fumbling, uh, the NBA, the comeback will start July 30th at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Disney World, Orlando, Florida. It will consist of 22 teams, eight seeding games per team, and a 16-team playoff field. And it was just announced they will start with the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans, followed by the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers to open the restart. I believe that's a back-to-back Fonz. I know it just came out literally minutes before the show went live. Yeah. Um, What I found really interesting was the playoff qualification. So seven teams in each conference with the highest combined winning percentage that accounts for regular season plus uh, the seeding games. And then the top seven get in now to earn the eighth seed. You must be more than four games ahead of the ninth seed in its conference. If you are not, then you're forced into the play in tournament. Yeah. The eighth seed is four or less games ahead of the ninth seed in the same conference. Then we have an eight seed versus a nine seed. So the eighth seed must win one game to advance, which will be double elimination. And then the ninth seed must win two games to advance, single elimination. What are your thoughts on that? I found that very, very interesting. It adds, like a little, it adds a little bit more of a twist. We've kind of thought about like why they should definitely consider adding like a play-in game for something like this. And uh, it, it's a good way to kind of – spice things up you know if you're four games ahead it's kind of it makes the eight games more it makes the first game just as meaningful as the eighth one because you kind of want to win the first four right away to get the four game advantage so i kind of like this again it it twists things up a little bit it's something that we've all been saying that we kind of want to change things up around here so i'm all for it yeah i definitely think it's a good touch to things uh, before we bring Jordan on, just want to run down a couple of other things. Shout out Kyle Russo. James looking like a stud with that quarantine cut. Uh, I think everyone's officially gotten their haircut since uh, this whole mess started. So yeah. congratulations yeah. on that. 
Several players in the NBA tested positive for COVID. One of them still in Serbia in Nikola Jokic. Pacers, Malcolm Brogdon. Kyle Russo's Miami Heat yesterday. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. And then also for the Kings, three players of note. Buddy Heald, Alex Len, and Jabari Parker. So 16 out of 302 players who were tested came back positive. That's just over 5% of the league. And funds. Your New York Knicks claimed Theo Pinson off waivers today and waived Alonzo Trier. The Knicks signed Alonzo Trier after they cut Ron Baker, after giving him a two-year deal about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, not much going there. I make make it some moves of some <laughs> sorts, you know. Uh, somehow Frankie Lakita is still on the roster. That's just about all I'm going to say about that. Longest longest tenured Nick. Longest tenured Frank Nick. is? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I don't know if he's eligible to drink yet. Oh jeez! Oh, I th- I think he's twenty. I just straight up, uh, God, I hate them. <laughs> I feel bad for you, funds. I feel yeah, bad. Kudos to you, uh, Vince Carter. Officially retires after twenty-two seasons. No more '90s players left. So a we're lot old, of the players man. we grew up with are now gone. I know yeah. we're all mid-'90s guys here, so yeah. that's. Kind of sad. The guys like Kobe, Tim Duncan, Dirk, KG, Paul Pierce. Though I think Paul Pierce was two thousand. But I think Paul Pierce lottery is now. tonight at eight p.m. Yep. Uh, yes, Paul Pierce. I believe he was ninety-eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, James is going to provide us with updates on the NHL draft lottery throughout the night. So about halfway through the show, we'll have an update. Last news here. NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame game on August 6th has been canceled between the Steelers and the Cowboys and the August 8th enshrinement also postponed. Not good news for the NFL, hoping that there isn't much more of a delay than that. Definitely concerning. But uh, without further ado, let's bring our guest on and welcome back Jordan Spurgeon from uh, California, Arizona State student. Um, I know you were on the show with us about a month and a half ago. First off, looking great, man. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm super uh, pumped to be here. and Yeah, it's good to be able to come on and talk a little bit about some football. Yeah, and I know um, you as a New England Patriots fan, I know you've been looking forward to the season I have as well. By the way, this is not a Bills jersey. Yeah, it's Lawrence Taylor. I saw I that. Like a- I get that often. Now, a lot of people say it looks like the Bills jersey, but because mm-hmm. and they also see, uh, oh gosh, the Super Bowl twenty five where they played the Bills, so it's mm-hmm. uh, slightly mis- uh, misleading. But uh, so we're going to have Jordan on for a while tonight. We're going to run down some of the AFC All Decade teams from twenty ten to twenty nineteen. We will start with the AFC South and we'll transition into the AFC North, where we have Bonds and Ravens talk about the AFC West and then the AFC East. So we'll give this a shot. Why don't we funds? We'll get the uh, banner up and let's go over the AFC South all decade team. James, you are going to run through this with us here and we will break it down. So uh, go ahead. So our offense consists of quarterback, Andrew Luck, the Colts from 2012 to 2018 Uh, running back Arian Foster, he was on the Texans from 2009 to 2015. Andre Johnson, he was on three teams. He was the Texans from 2003 to 2014, the Colts from 2015, and then the Titans for 2016. Then we got another wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. 
Texans, 2013 to present. Um, then we go to another wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton, the Colts from 2012 to present. Then we go to our tight ends, Delaney Walker, the Titans from 2011, 2013 to 2019. Then we go to left tackle, Dwayne Brown. Brown, the Texans, 2010 to 2017. Uh, left guard, Quentin Nelson, the Colts. From 2018 to present, Ben Jones, Texans. He was on two teams. He was on the Texans from 2012 to 2015. And then the Titans from 2016 to present. Uh, right guard, Wade Smith, Texans, 2010 to 2013. And then right tackle, Jack Conklin, Tech Titans, 2016 to 2019. And again, that was your offense. We'll stop there. We'll analyze the offense right now. So, uh, Jordan, you know, I'm looking at this list, and I know Andrew Luck came in the league in 2012, very unexpected uh, retirement, uh, right before uh, the beginning of last season, the 2019 uh, 2019 season. This is the guy who had 171 touchdowns in six years. Honestly, I think he had such big shoes to fill in Peyton Manning, I mean, I personally think this is an, a no-brainer. Yeah, Andrew Luck was on the projection to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen. What he did when he was healthy in Indianapolis with not a ton of pieces around him, especially those early years, you know, going to the um, playoffs in his first three seasons with, with a terrible offensive line where um, – one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, not a great group of wide receivers. He had T.Y. Hilton there. Um, but outside of that, they had tight ends that just didn't work out for them. Um, running game was spotty early in his career, but he always found ways to win games. Um, I'll never forget the game against the Chiefs in the playoffs where he brings them all the way back. I believe it was, what was it, 28 nothing or 35-7, whatever the score was. He brings them all the way back, and he's definitely been the best quarterback in that division over the past decade, even though his career has been cut short. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and he was around the longest, too. He was around for the majority of the time. Drafted in a four-time cold bowler. And they, the dude rushed for uh, over 1,600 yards in just his second season. A guy who kind of just came out of nowhere. Yeah. That, no, definitely. I, mean, when you, one of those, I think one of those running backs people kind of forget about because – I mean, yeah, he was there from 2009 to 2015. But, yeah, I mean, one of those running backs you forget that we watched from the early uh, 2010s uh, for a young team like the Texans. They started out in 2002. They got their rusher by, like, 2010. And probably one of those icons of Houston that will probably have eventually, like, be inducted into, like, their ring of honor or their Hall of Fame or something. Yes, uh, Jordan, you actually have a, a shout-out here from uh, Marco Antonio Peralta. The Alta Peralta, another Sun Devil from Southern California. So thanks for watching, Marco. Very nice. The uh, Sun Devils, my uh, my cousin goes there, actually. Uh, he, I believe he is uh, going to be a junior next year. Okay. Uh, in, the, in the fall. Let's see who else we got here. Uh, these wide receivers I love because a lot of people know the Houston Texans as a struggling franchise, but over the course of the last few years, they've really turned the Jets on ever since bringing in Bill O'Brien, despite, uh, you know, the amount of backlash he's gotten in the last couple of off seasons, but two incredible wide receivers in Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins, who had Hopkins has had 31 touchdowns 
over the last three seasons, the dude is just unstoppable. Corners can't match up with him. They're not physical enough. They're not quick enough. And I think Hopkins is clearly the best out of those three, for sure. Yeah, when you look at him, especially with Andre Johnson, a lot of times they put up big numbers with really bad quarterbacks. Before Deshaun Watson, there wasn't any great quarterbacks. Matt Schaub had a little bit of a run there in the early 2010s where he was a pro bowler, but he was never anything spectacular. And so Andre Johnson um, constantly put up big numbers from the day he was drafted with Houston with terrible quarterback play, terrible general managing, terrible coaching. Um, So he was definitely one of the most talented receivers. And then you look at T.Y. Hilton on the Colts and – He's quietly been a really solid receiver. I mean, he's definitely not, you know, an all-pro wide receiver, but year in and year out, he puts up big numbers for that Colts team. So I really like all three receivers here. I think that's really good picks. I definitely think those are the right guys, James. Uh, now, we talked about Delaney Walker at tight end. This is kind of an under-the-radar guy for uh, Fonz's Tennessee Titans, wink, wink. <laughs> um, the, uh, what do you call them, the bane of your existence, something like that. They always, they always will be until the uh, Ravens beat them, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> eight and eight. <laughs> Look, uh, Delaney Walker, a guy who had 94 catches in 2015, this was unheard of. He spent the uh, beginning portion of his career with the 49ers yeah. and – I believe he's still there. I believe he's still there. He just got released, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. look at that. So he was there for a long time. I know the Titans have Ferkser now. Um, I know he was a big guy for them last year. And then you also look at um, you look at a guy like Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, guys that probably were not in the AFC South long enough to be considered here. Owen Daniels is really the only, only other guy that sticks out to me that could potentially be in this spot. Uh, James, let's go through the offensive line. Offensive line, we had. Uh, oh, that's right. We already went through that. Yeah. My bad. Are you talking about defense? <laughs> uh, before we get there, I just want to say one thing. I personally don't have any problems with this, although Wade Smith, uh, I he made just one Pro Bowl in 2012. I, I think he bounced around too much. He's been about on like five or six different teams. I would have put a guy like Brandon Brooks. I know he didn't play there very long either, but uh, guys, he's been a pro bowler ever since he's walked into the, into the league. Um, and then the only other argument I can make too is Ben Jones. Uh, ben Jones has never made a pro bowl. I think maybe Ryan Kelly should be in there over Ben Jones. It's really hard. You're picking apples and apples here. Uh, Jordan, what do you think about that? Yeah, the offensive line here is tough. I mean, just looking through, I feel like, None of these teams really had spectacular this decade, maybe a year or two at a time. Um, like Quentin Nelson has really been a guy for the Colts that definitely sure fired just because he came in immediately and that offensive line improved. We saw Andrew Luck have a great season with him while he was there before he retired. We saw them last year put up numbers. But the other guys on the list, Ben Jones, Wade Smith, can't really complain. I just think it's a very weak position in this division over the last decade. And so they're the guys that, you know, at least made one Pro Bowl and were somewhat consistent while they were there. So that's probably a good reason to have them on the team. I definitely agree. Uh, James, we'll run through the defense and the special teams, and then we'll collaborate on that. I see a lot of familiar faces on there. So we start with defense, defensive end, J.J. Watt, Texans from 2011 to present. Not surprised. Um, defensive tight, Jer- Jarrell Casey. Jarrell Casey, thank you. Titans from 2013 to 2019. Um, then we got Cal- Calais Campbell. 
Jaguars from 2017 to present. Robert Mathis, Colts, 2003 to 2016. Then we have Darius Leonard, the Colts again, from 2018 to present. Then we got Paul Puzlozny, Jaguars, 2011 to 2017. Clowney. Avion Clowney. Avion Clowney. Thank you. Tongue twister there for whatever reason. Texans, 2014 to 2018. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, Jaguars, 2016 to 2019. Jonathan Joseph, Texans, 2011 to 2019. Kevin Byard, Titan, 2016 to present. Michael Griffin, Titans, 2007 to 2015. That is your defensive. Let's move on to special teams. We got Mark Marin. Mariani. Mariani. Titans. So he was with the Titans from 2010 to 2013, and then he went back to the Titans in 2016. Adam Vinatieri, the Colts, 2006 to 2019. And Shane Leckler. Texans, 2013 to 2017. And that is your special teams. Yeah, so I'm looking at the defense, guys, and immediately I see J.J. Watt. That's a lock. Uh, Arguably the best defensive lineman in football over the past five to six years, Uh, probably even longer. This guy had 20 and a half sacks on two separate occasions. Jordan, um, do you think J.J. Watt is the best defensive lineman, not just in the AFC South, but in all of football at this time? So currently heading into 2020, no. But over the last decade, he definitely had the largest impact. The only guy I could put up numbers-wise that was compared would be Chandler Jones, who was in New England and then now down in Arizona tearing it up. But, yeah, J.J. Watt, what he does on the field, um, really coming back last year, he had what was the, he had an Achilles injury or something like that last year. Yeah. And he comes back in the playoffs and plays something that's just unheard of to come back in the same season and play. So he's a guy that yes is always hurt, but always finds a way to you know get himself physically ready to come back and still have an impact on that team. Um, and he's been a big reason why the Texans have always had a good defensive line over the last decade is because he constantly disrupts the passing game. I definitely agree. Another guy that really sticks out to me, he kind of flies under the radar, Drill Casey from the Titans, as James had mentioned. Uh, This guy has at least five sacks every year since 2013 from the defensive tackle position. That is outstanding because defensive tackles are not notorious for getting sacks. Uh, Funds, I don't want to get too caught up with the Tennessee Titans here, but um, let's get some Colts players. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, he's not bad. Draw Casey, I mean, I would give him credit. One of the more underrated uh, defensive tackles. Now he goes to Denver, and that's going to be with that whole scary defense and Von Miller, and what's his name, Bradley Chubb. Yep. Now, I know he snuffed out Mark Ingram a couple of times in the divisional round. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I'm completely aware of that. Yep. Uh, just a, a quick reminder for you there. Uh, Robert Mathis, 19 and a half sacks and 10 forced fumbles in 2013 at – 32 years old. And I I bring this up because I remember this season in particular. This was when Peyton Manning left. Uh, I believe this was the year he was hurt. I believe he was hurt in 2012, I want to say. Then 2013 started with the Broncos. Robert Mathis went on a tear. This was really Andrew Luck's uh, coming out party 
And having a guy like Robert Mathis, who need I mention also had two touchdowns in his last two seasons in the league, pretty much. Uh, Robert Mathis was a beast. He was very overshadowed by Dwight Freeney majority of his career until Freeney left. Robert Mathis elevated, I think to that guy. Uh, I really like what, uh, the Colts got out of him, but, uh, Jordan, I want to get your take on Darius Lane. Uh, this guy beast in the middle. He's a tackle machine, had seven sacks as a rookie, five picks last year. Where does he stack up against the best linebackers in this league? Yeah, Darius Leonard to me is in the top five. I think he cemented himself in the top five after his rookie season in 2018. Um, you know, him and Derwin James of the Chargers had phenomenal rookie campaigns last year. And um, I think Derwin James was sort of the bigger name, uh, maybe playing in L.A., gave him that sort of bigger name. Um, compared to Darius Leonard. But Leonard, when you see him on the field, he is a guy that is everywhere for the Indianapolis Colts. And as soon as he stepped on the field for that defense, they went from a below-average defense to a team that is capable of being a top-10 defense. They weren't always a top-10 defense the last couple of years, but they have the capability and the potential to shut down other teams. So Darius Leonard, to me, he stacks up in the top five um, easily in the NFL, the linebacker spot. Agree 100%. Fonz, um, a guy that... You and I both remember with his days in the AFC East, Paul Pozlozny. He spent four years in Buffalo, seven in Jacksonville, uh, 11 picks in a six-year span. This guy, I believe he's he's still the all-time leading tackler at Penn State. Uh, This guy had a very quiet career because he was always on losing teams, but I definitely think he deserves to be here as well. Completely agree. Yeah, one of those guys that we forget was one of the star middle linebacker for like the – what was it, the early part of the 2010s, uh, alongside, yeah. you know, guys like Ray Lewis and going up to like Darius Leonard, like just to mention guys that we forget about. He was very good in Buffalo and was made a name for himself in Jacksonville. He did have one Pro Bowl nut, I believe. Probably should have had more because, I mean, again, Jacksonville at the time was one of those, like, not really, I want to say joke of the teams, but like they're one of the lower lower teams that really weren't, didn't always make the playoffs and whatnot. But, yeah, definitely one of the more underrated linebackers during our time. 100%. Now we look across the board on the secondary guys. We have guys like Jalen Ramsey who played for Jacksonville. Kevin Byard really intrigues me because he had the eight picks back in 2017, I want to say, and then had five last year. He's really a ball hawking safety, I believe. I don't know if he picked off Lamar in the playoff game, but I know a couple of guys did. So uh, <laughs> I, think was, I think he was one of them. Yeah. Um, ten- Tennessee still in the mix, funds. Uh, a lot of guys in the mix here. In fact, they had eight players on this list. I know. Uh, and we look at a team like the Colts that pretty much dominated this division uh, before 2010. And now this past decade, it was really Houston thinking about it, especially when O'Brien came here. I think you give all the respect in the world to David Carr, Jordan, but Matt Schaub really lifted this franchise up into a respectable team, maybe not a playoff team, but respectable team. And now they have a top five quarterback in, in this league, or arguably. Yeah, I know Houston, they dominate the division, and we haven't said it yet, but um, choosing Bill O'Brien as coach of the year, he gets a lot of slack for um, what's going on there. My take on Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans is Bill O'Brien, the general manager, has not done Bill O'Brien, the head coach, any favors. I think he's a great head coach. I think he's a terrible general manager, especially when he's trying to manage both at the same time. You look at this Houston team. Um, they, Like you said, they made the playoffs constantly with average to below average quarterback play. Um, you look at Schaub, you know, he had he had some nice years. And then TJ Yates at one point started a playoff game for them. Um, but now they have the quarterback. And 
easily, you know, top five, top 10 quarterback in the NFL in Deshaun Watson. Um, they're slowly getting him some pieces at the offensive line. Um, they've made some questionable trades, um, trading away Clowney, trading away DeAndre Hopkins, but it has allowed them to get other picks that can maybe help out Deshaun Watson in other facets of the game. Um, so, yeah, the Houston Texans really were the team of the decade for the AFC South without a question. They were in the playoffs every year. They didn't do anything in the playoffs, but they were there every year. So you got to give them that. I definitely agree. Uh, let's get on to Fonz's AFC North. Uh, Fonz. Yes. You take, take the, you take the reins. All right. So uh, this is the AFC North all-decade team, uh, obviously from 2010 to 2019. The quarterback for the offense is Ben Roethlisberger, uh, currently still for the Steelers since 2004. They have two running backs on here with Le'Veon Belf, who was on the Steelers from 2013 to 2018. And the Ravens' Ray Rice is the second running back from 08 to 13. Only two wide receivers in this one, like the AFC South that we discussed. Antonio Brown for the Steelers and A.J. Green for the Bengals, who's still there to this day. Tight end, Heath Miller for the for the Steelers back in the day from 2005 to 2015. The two offensive tackles, Joe Thomas, legendary man for the Browns, started basically every single game of his career except like the latter part when he got injured in his final season. Never missed a snap. And Andrew Whitworth, obviously he's on the Rams now, but we forget that he was on the Bengals for a big portion of his career. The two guards, Marshall Yonder from the Ravens, who recently retired, and David DeCastro, who is still playing for the Steelers since 2012. And the center is Marquise Pouncey, who's been there since 2010. So that is the offense for the AFC North. We'll discuss that before I get on to the defense. Yeah, fun. I definitely – I don't – I think they got everything right on offense here. Uh, I don't really have any complaints. I think a lot of my arguments are more later on when we get into the defense and maybe the head coach. We could debate that a little bit between Tomlin and Harbaugh. Uh, not to allude too far, but uh, a lot of people forget Ray Rice only played the first four years of this decade. There was a significant decline in 2013 yeah. where he didn't even get 700 yards. I remember this because he was on my fantasy team after the, the year after the Super Bowl. The, the year after the Super Bowl, he, he fell off completely. Yeah. Funds, what happened to him? Every carry was like two yards. I don't know what happened because leading up to that Super Bowl run, he had over a thousand yards consistent running back. And then the year after, I mean, everybody fell apart. You remember Ray Lewis retired and Reed left. They paid Joe Flacco. They traded Anquan Bolden. Uh, a lot of their backup guys, Paul Kruger left and L. Elderly left to get paid. Kerry Williams left to get paid. They had literally nobody, nobody on the offensive line. And Ray Rice, just his production dropped completely. And then he ended up out of the league for. For stuff that we all obviously we all know about what happened, but you know, yeah, it was. I didn't expect it to be on there, but I mean, if they did have a second running back option, then I would probably say Ray Rice would be in consideration. I agree. Uh, it's just a very difficult situation. I think a lot of guys didn't play very long. Uh, I think they got it right too. I but, thought they were only going to do one running back compared to the other teams, which is kind of weird seeing that, too. So if it was just one, I would have said Le'Veon Bell easily. But, you know, if they do the second one, then Ray Rice would have my second pick there. Jordan, we do have Heath Miller, a tight end, who had his best year in 2012, a guy who didn't catch too many balls for Pittsburgh, but I thought he was a very durable player, very good for them as well. Yeah, this division just never really had tight ends, you know, more than a season at a time that were consistent. But at least with Heath Miller, um, you have those years of Le'Veon Bell from 2013 to 2015 where Heath Miller was still on the team. And um, while he wasn't the greatest pass catcher, he was there as a red zone target. He was also great in the running game, um, which really gets overlooked as – 
um, for many tight ends because of the evolution of what we've seen with Gronk and um, other tight ends as well in this league now. I think the blocking tight end has gotten overlooked, but Heath Miller was a big part of um, the Steelers being able to consistently run the ball with Le'Veon Bell and maybe add some extra protection protection in certain pass situations with Ben Roethlisberger in that offense as they slowly became more of a spread out offense and not so much grounded pounds. I definitely agree. And let's get that John Suggs comment up about Big Ben. Uh, I want to say one thing about Big Ben, guys. Uh, I understand he was hurt last year. He probably he probably only has two years left as a Steeler. Uh, but the way I look at this, 2018, this guy set career highs, not just in passing yards, but in touchdowns as well, right? This guy is ruthless. You look at the numbers. Ben Roethlisberger, I think, is one of the very few quarterbacks – in this league since the turn of the century that knows how to win games ugly. He can win games ugly. He'll throw two to three picks a game. Fonz, you know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, very, very fun quarterback to watch. Very seasoned, but uh, you know, definitely a guy who... And look, I got to give the guy credit. Despite him getting hurt all the time, he comes back. It's not right. like he keeps... you know his, his career just spirals downhill. The... 5,100 passing yards in 2018 is outstanding. Yeah, no doubt. Um, But, okay, let's – and we have the Jerome Bettis comment, too. Shout out Jerome Bettis, Notre Dame alum. Uh, The the bus. Yeah, he played – I believe he retired after the Super Bowl against Seattle. Yeah, that was a few years. Yeah, a little little, – we'll make that decade team. Maybe the uh, 2000s decade one. That probably would be in consideration for that. (laughs) So would you like to go to the defense before we move on, or you want to talk about anything else with the offense? Just one last comment I have on Joe Thomas. Made the Pro Bowl every year, except for his last season that he got hurt. Started every game of his career from the first day of 2007 up until that injury. And I remember that because, you know, one of my buddies, the Cleveland Browns fan in grammar school, and we used to make fun of him. He was the only Browns fan in the class. So, but (laughs) Let's get on to that defense because AFC North is notorious. For this defense is very good. I, I, this this defense is – so the, the two DNs here is Carlos Dudlap, uh, currently still since 2010, and Cameron Hayward, 2011. Those are the two DNs. D tackles Geno Atkins from 2010, still playing today. Actually, was a fifth-round pick. For those that don't know, he's still playing there, which is great. So they have three defensive linemen because a lot of the teams in that division do a 3-4 defense. So the two outside linebackers are Terrell Suggs and James Harrison. Suggs obviously played from 03 to 18, which we all know. James Harrison played actually had two stints with the Steelers. People forget he had one year with the Bengals in 2013. That's right. We completely forgot about that. The two middle linebackers, C.J. Mosley, in those five seasons with Baltimore, four-time Pro Bowler. Completely agree with this one. Uh, And Lawrence Timmons is the other middle linebacker. The two corners, Joe Hayden, who was on the Browns to begin his career, and is now on the Steelers. Uh, Adam Jones is the other cornerback. Forget it. He was on the Bengals for a while. was a pretty solid corner and also a return man. And the two safeties, Ed Reed, obviously, and Troy Palomalu. Those two safeties, I mean, just let alone that makes the defense. So this is a really – this is this is solid. I do want to make some little corrections here and there, but what, are, what do you guys want to – what do you want to start with this defense? We'll start with Jordan. That pass rush would be so – difficult to overcome for any offensive line you throw in Terrell Suggs James Harrison Geno Atkins who is one of the best pass rushing defensive tackles I've seen in my lifetime you throw in Cameron Hayward Carlos Dunlap that that alone is so difficult for any 
offensive line to stop. And so you look at the AFC North, we, we know the Steelers and Ravens have had some great defenses, but I think a lot of people forget the Bengals there for a little bit, um, especially um, early 2010s with Andy Dalton there actually had some really solid defenses. And that was a big reason why they were consistently a playoff team for about a three or four year stretch. So I really have no complaints with how this team was. And yeah, I'm still shocked that James Harrison was a Bengal for a year. I keep forgetting that. That yeah, is really weird. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Funs before I get to you, because I kind of want you to wrap that up, James. Uh, I know the AFC North, the, the giants historically don't play too well against them, at least over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. What do you take from this list? From offensive defense or just defense alone? Well, this last defense here that we just um, rattled off, is there any guy in particular that sticks out to you the most? I mean, Suggs is a big one that sticks out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got two Bengals guys that they're still on the same team for the past 10 years. Yeah. Like, I, I completely forgot about that. Um, so, honestly, with between the amount of players from the Steelers and the Ravens, uh, it's actually – pretty good to see the Browns and the Bengals get some points, especially the Bengals and the Browns. You look back over the last 10 years, they haven't been the two best teams. Mm -hmm. So people like myself did forget they had two guys on the team for over 10 years now. Um, Yeah. So, which is cool to see because you don't really think of them as, you know, they should be on this list, but realistically they're here because their individual work. Right. Let me say one thing about the Cincinnati Bengals, James. Uh, if Ed Reed and Troy Palomalu were not on this list, I think Reggie Nelson would be. He has to be an honorable mention because yep. the, the eight picks in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my problem with the Bengals, guys, and I know I've said this time and time again to the point where it just gets exhausting. You need to look at the longevity trend. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Geno Atkins, 11 years. Giovanni Bernard, 8 years. Carlos Dunlap, 11. The long snapper, 12. You know, that's understandable. But then you got Kevin Hoover, 12 years, the punter, who is probably an honorable mention for this list since the Bengals do happen to punt the football a lot. (laughs) Safety, Sean Williams. That was no pun intended. Safety, Sean Williams, 8 years. And then A.J. Green, who I think has um, overstayed his uh, tenure in Cincinnati at 10 years. Yeah. It's a team that's had a lot of guys stay there for a long time. I mean, Marvin Lewis was the coach there for uh, yeah, 17, 17 years, and there was no playoff wins. And so it just seems like an organization that is, you know, they get someone they like, and they're just going to keep them there as long as they want, it looks like. And that's just sort of the way they're run. Not the way that many modern sports franchises are run nowadays, but mm-hmm. Bengals still are. Yeah. You can see why they haven't. Uh, won that much against their counterparts in this division. The last thing I'm going to say is I think Joe Hayden deserves to be on the list, but his play definitely declined since the concussion started to uh, affect him in 2015. But definitely picked back up with the Steelers like in, 20, in 2017 or like 2017-18 uh, like going forward. I definitely think like, – I can see where you're arguing with that, but he's definitely picked up his play a little bit after those concussions. Fons, uh, did we get to the special teams yet? Uh, I'm going to do the special teams right now. So the punt and kick returner is uh, actually combined into one. It's Antonio Brown. Uh, we forget, and we know he's one of the best wide receivers, but in the early part of his career, he was a pretty deadly kick slash punt returner. And the kicker is my favorite, Justin Tucker, the undrafted gem, t- 2012 to currently now. And the punter, Sam Cook, 
from the Ravens, 2006 to present. Those are your three specialists right there. I like it. I actually, I'm not sure I put Antonio Brown as the returner because of Jacoby Jones. That's what I was, th- I mean, I, if we were making my own, I would definitely say Jacoby Jones should definitely be in consideration. But I mean, he did only have two seasons with the Ravens as opposed to Antonio Brown was the kick returner for the first like three seasons, I believe. And even punt returner for a little bit to the later part of his career. But I mean, it's a little bit more difficult, I think, with the return, man. Maybe Adam Jones, you can put on there also because yeah, he punt return kicks too. If you're trying to separate kick and punt. Uh, before I get to Jordan, I had actually had a quick story about Pac-Man. Had him in one of my fantasy leagues, and back in the league, one of our fantasy leagues did uh, return return points. For yeah, return we did. Return. So he was a sneaky pick in like the late end of the draft, and he was good for about two to three picks a season too. I think yeah. there was one point where he had like three picks for like three straight years, which yeah. is pretty good for a guy at his size. But um, no other arguments here besides uh, Jacoby. Perfect, perfect. So I'll go to the AFC North players of the decade. I'll talk about those for each team. Marshall Yonda represents us for the Ravens. AJ Green for the Bengals. Joe Thomas for the Browns. Antonio Brown for the Steelers. I feel like there's really no arguments there for that one. I feel yeah. like there's no really no debate. I think these were all kind of easy ones here. So I think we're good. I think we're good with that. I think this one's going to be interesting, though. We talk about the coach. Now, I agree with this one. A little biased. Of course. Of course. <laughs> John Harbaugh. 2008 to now as the coach of the decade. I tend to agree. I can see an argument on Mike Tomlin. Uh, they're both tied with a, a Super Bowl piece, I believe. Or at least Tomlin. Tomlin was in the decade, correct? Or was it not in the decade? 2009. 2009 was when they won. Okay. Well, so the Harbaugh obviously wasn't for the 2012 season. Um, but since 08, there was a time where Harbaugh, Harbaugh made the playoffs every single year, I think, up until like 2014. Uh over 10 wins every season, except the one time. And that was because Joe Flacco got hurt. That was the re- that was the reason why. And transitioning over from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson, making it really just look easy. And one coach of the year and was, you know, had one of his better seasons this past past year. So I definitely can – I can see the argument with Tomlin, but what Harwell's been able to do with every player having this roster and make it work within his system is incredible to me. Yeah. We got a Suggs comment here. Pac-Man Jones, when he was with the Bengals, not the Browns. Yeah, the Bengals. Um, okay. Yeah, so look, guys, I, I'm looking at Tomlin and Harbaugh. Both coaches made the playoffs six times in this decade, but the biggest thing of note to me is that the Steelers have not made the playoffs in the last two seasons, and their last playoff appearance was not good. Remember, they were the two seed, and then they got bounced by Jacksonville on the divisional round weekend. Yeah. Yeah, Blake Bortles put up 45 on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember that. I know uh, Jordan was more happy about playing uh, Jacksonville than um, Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game. Although, at almost, uh, although, <laughs> they were two plays away. Jordan, any final thoughts on the North here? I think they pretty much got everything right. That defense team, I can't get over the defense. It's just so good from – Every single position, there's no weaknesses there. Coach of the decade, I really think it is a toss-up. Harbaugh, Tomlin, both found ways to adapt to their rosters. Both had talented rosters around them. Um, I just think the Ravens won a little bit more recently. I think that's why John Harbaugh got the nod. And they had the Super Bowl in 2012 compared to the Steelers in 2009. So I think that's the only reason why Harbaugh gets the nod over Tomlin. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, Let's get to the AFC West. Uh, 
Quick shout out, Mike DeSanto joining the live stream. Fonz, your buddy up from Bonaventure. Oh, yeah. What's up, uh, Mike? <laughs> the AFC West, I'll do this one. Um, so we have Peyton Manning, who was only the quarterback for three to four years there in uh, Denver after leaving the Colts. The running back was Jamal Charles, guy who played from 08 to 16. Then we have receivers like the Marius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and Keenan Allen. Uh, all of those guys, pro bowlers, and Thomas and Sanders obviously both caught balls uh, from Peyton in Denver. Then at the tight end, we have Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey joined the league in 2013. A little bit of a slow start, but then he kind of jumped his game up. Now, you know, arguably the best tight end in the league uh, with George Kittle at the moment. Uh, offensive line, I love this. Ryan Clady, he was fantastic. I don't know if you guys I remember him. Clady too, when yeah. I saw that list, I completely forgot about Ryan Clady. Yeah, Ryan Clady was good. Coleccio Simile, I'm not too sure he belongs there. At left guard, only played for three years, but you know he was pretty decent with the Raiders. You had to throw a Raider in there, throw him a bone. Uh, <laughs> Rodney Hudson at center played for the Chiefs and the Raiders. Louis Vasquez, remember him? Chargers transitioned, blocked for Peyton. This one I love, the right tackle, Mitch Schwartz from 2016. The guy has not missed the start since entering the league in 2012. Remember, he did not start his career with the Chiefs, I believe. I want to say, I know Jeff was with the Panthers before coming to the Giants. Was Mitch there too? Or no, he was with the Browns? I think it was with the Browns. Yeah. Schwartz, right? You're talking about? Yeah, Jeff Jeff Schwartz. Mitch was with the Browns. Jeff was with the Panthers before. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of that offense? Personally, I mean, I'm looking at the skills players. It all makes sense. A lot of older guys now. A lot of them don't play in the league at, uh, anymore. But uh, let, let's break this down. I mean, yeah. wide, wide, I'll, I'll say the wide receiver thing is that's very good. Those are three talented wide receivers. And the running back, overall, I, I don't have any arguments. This is overall very a very solid list here. I want to hear from Jordan because I'm actually contemplating Peyton Manning, Philip Rivers here. Now I know Philip Rivers never won a Super Bowl, but I know you're from the San Diego area, right nearby. Yeah, yeah, I grew up um, about 40 minutes north of San Diego. If you're going based on just longevity in this decade and just the numbers, I think you would pick Philip Rivers. But you look at Peyton Manning in Denver. MVP in 2013, over 50 touchdowns, had one of the greatest seasons a quarterback's ever had that year. Um, do lose the Super Bowl that year, but he gets to a second one and wins it in 2015 to go out on top. And so you just look at those years, 2012 through 2014. Those were great seasons for Peyton Manning. 2015, bit of a wash, but it did end up in a Super Bowl championship because of the defense. So to me, it is still somewhat of a toss-up between Philip Rivers and Peyton Manning, but I do think that because Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl and he won an MVP, um, both feats that Philip Rivers has never been able to do, I think that's why Peyton Manning gets the nod over Philip Rivers in this one. You bring up an excellent point there. I definitely agree with that. Uh, now, my next question uh, to you is Coleccio Simile. I don't know if you know much about this guy. I know uh, he was a Raven. Yeah, funds. Why don't uh, you uh, car- carve him up? Well, yeah, no, he was uh, like a second, third round pick for the Ravens in 2012, I believe, or 2011. Uh, was their starting left guard, uh, left guard, because uh, we all know on the right guard for the Super Bowl team. Uh, left, uh, like it says here, for in 2016 to sign with the Raiders. Uh, got paid over there. I wanted, I wanted the Ravens to keep bringing him back, but was a consistent guard for the Raiders. Um, 
I know Tyrus saying his short tenure probably doesn't not sure if he's mentioned on here just to throw a Raider in there, but I would have definitely even I would have been okay with him being put there. I think he was one of the top guards at the time, and I definitely think he's worth mentioning on this list. So that, that was just me for for Coleccio Semele. I definitely agree with that. Let's get to the defense. So we have Melvin Ingram, who's been on the Chargers since 2012. He's been a rock. Uh, he's had at least seven sacks every year since 2015. Uh, Corey Lugit from the Chargers um, played there up until 2018, I want to say. Had a solid nose for snuffing out the run. Uh, Chris Jones from the Chiefs, fantastic player. Had a 15 and a half sacks two years ago. And then we look at a guy like Khalil Mack. Uh, I know when John Gruden got there was when Khalil Mack made his departure. <laughs> but, um, you know, I he's forced at least five fumbles in three seasons throughout his career, guys. Uh, 61 and a half sacks since being in the league in 2014. This guy is very difficult to block. Uh, there's him and then there's Von Miller, who's been on the Broncos since 2011. I think Von Miller is probably the most consistent pass rusher in the league. Uh, that's just my opinion since he's been around a little bit longer. I also think that um, I believe he had the 18 and a half. Was it 2012? I want to say, I think it was 2012. I don't remember the exact year, but I want to say it was that because I know it was the year that Peyton Manning got there. So I'm pretty sure that was the year. And then we look at guys like Justin Houston, Derek Johnson. Uh, then we go to the secondary, Chris Harris, Akib Tlaib, a couple more Broncos. And then we mix it in with Eric Berry, and Eric Weddle. Weddle, potentially a future Hall of Famer, border, probably a borderline guy. My thing is, how is Charles Woodson not on this list? Yeah. I, Very yeah, confused about uh, that. I'm, I, I'll, I'll do respect to those two guys on there. I'm just, I, I'm, I could see that. How many years did he play with the Raiders for the last part of his career? Was it two or three? It was three. It was 13 to 15. I, I know he made a Pro Bowl a couple of times, but I if this was like in the 2000s, then I think Charles Woodson easily goes in there without a question at, at the at the cornerback spot because he was corner and went to safety. I can see your argument, Tom, but I think if you're basing it just on 2010 and 2019, I go with Barry and Well because they were there for – got to throw in – um, longevity a little bit too. So it works for this situation. So I can see Woodson definitely is like an honorable mention, like you said, with Reggie Nelson for the North. Jordan, what sticks out to you on this list right now? I'm looking here and I see a lot of chargers on that uh, front line. Yeah. Just looking at it. I think generally on defense outside of, you know, the 2014, 2015 Broncos that had a legit defense, there hasn't been that many great defensive units over the past decade in the AFC West, but there's been so many talented players. So to me, looking at Melvin Ingram and Corey legit, they have been phenomenal players for the chargers, um, especially in the passing game. Melvin Ingram, when he's healthy has been a top 10 pass rusher. Um, his problem is he doesn't stay on the field, um, especially as of late the last couple of years, um, him and Joey Bosa, both, um, and Bosa probably could have been on this list as well. I know he's hasn't been there as long as Ingram and Khalil Mack, but um, he definitely could have, been on this list so to me i think they belong eric weddle with the chargers also was phenomenal um up until his last season when he started getting um the injuries finally caught up to him so overall i agree with everything on this list i see your point with charles woodson i just think i don't really remember his last couple years as a raider um i do remember him you know early 2000s as a raider i remember him as a packer um but i don't remember his last couple years as a raider so maybe that's why he was left off the list there just kind of felt like it was the twilight of his career I do agree because obviously he started with the Raiders and then he went to the Packers and then finished out with Oakland. But 
a lot of his prime years are remembered with Green Bay because that's where he did most of his winning. Uh, I know he had, I think he had a four pick and a five pick season in his uh, last couple of years with the Raiders. But I think, right, the longevity, the longevity. Uh, I know the Chiefs led this list with 11 players. The Broncos had a close eight, but the special teams consist of Niall Davis as a kick returner. Tyree Kill as the punt returner. Sebastian Janikowski as the kicker. I mean, he was with the Raiders for 17 years, so it's kind of hard to leave him off. Yeah. And then the punter, Dustin Colquitt, who I believe just retired because now they have Tyler Newsom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Niall Davis, I only remember vaguely. I know, like, I, I've watched him play, but I Yeah, don't... he had a couple of good kick returns. I'm not, I would have definitely just put Tyree Kill there, in yeah. my opinion, and just do for both of them at least. Yeah. But I mean, Niall Davis did have a couple of solid returns at the kick spot. I don't know. For that one, I would definitely would have just considered Tyreek Hill's both kick and punt. Unless I'm missing somebody off the top of my head on the Broncos or Chargers or something. I feel like I'm missing a name, but uh, yeah. Not, not, not outside of Al Davis, I agree with the special the specialist here. Well, John Suggs agrees with you. <laughs> he is right. he is right on. He Boom. definitely thinks Tyreek Hill should be there as a punt returner. Uh, Jordan, Sebastian Janikowski. He was a kicker pretty much since We've been alive. I think we were toddlers when Janikowski started, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly. I believe he is tied. He has a 63-yard field goal in his career. And then it was broken, I think, a year or two later by Matt Prater for the Broncos. Yeah, and then uh, Despite and how good Prater's been, yeah, why Janikowski over Prater here? I just think he had a much Anything more size than the longevity. I just think his career was just overall more consistent. I think Matt Prater had some big, long kicks that were memorable, but I feel like Matt Prater, especially towards the end of his time in Denver there, just didn't put up the consistent numbers as a kicker, especially um, making field goals consistently. I just I just think that Janikowski was a model of consistency for the entire 17 years. And if you just look at the seven years of this decade that he played, he was still a model of consistency. He only retired because – he just, you know, it, it was time for him to go. It wasn't because he was all of a sudden, you know, stinking it up like, um, you know, Adam Vinatieri last year who, you know, almost retired because he was struggling. So I think Janikowski was the right pick there um, over Matt Prater. Like I said, Matt Prater was more flash. Janikowski was more, you know, gritty, hard-nosed kicker that just got the job done no matter what. Yeah, I definitely agree. My housemate, uh, JC, um, He's from Cali. He's a Raiders fan. He's been watching Janikowski grow. He actually played baseball with Reese Hoskins. Um, he also loves Sebastian Janikowski. He was kind of sad when he left, and a lefty kicker, too. I think kickers are definitely a very undervalued position. I know Janikowski, I believe, didn't he spend some time with the Seahawks after the Raiders? He did, like, a year or something? Yeah. Uh, he's a big yeah. guy, too. He's, like, 275, 280 pounds for a kicker. Yep. That's unheard of. But uh, funds, we'll uh, go through the AFC West players of the decade. We'll just flash them on the screen. Uh, and then right there. there it is. We have Von Miller, Pat Mahomes, who was not on the list, but he was there representing the Chiefs. I just think the reason why is because there wasn't a spot from with Peyton. But yeah. uh, there's no other Chief really that you would say from the past decade was like, you know, that's better. like obviously, you know. I think Pat Mahomes has done more in three uh, two playing seasons because I know Pat Mahomes is the same age as me and I know he redshirted so technically only played two years so for him to be there 
is definitely interesting. Um, and then we have Philip Rivers for the Chargers, as Jordan was talking about earlier. And then for the Raiders, I want to say who they give for the Raiders again? Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek so, Carr. Like, all quarterbacks that didn't get mentioned on the all-decade team, which is very yeah. weird to me. And then we have Andy Reid, the head coach for the Chiefs. Yes. Uh, which makes Hunter, sense. James, as Giants fans, we know that um, Andy Reid really – he didn't struggle at the beginning of his career, but it was a lot of Giants, Philadelphia – a lot of Giants, Philadelphia, back and forth. And I know, right. Jordan, you – I don't – I mean, do you – when you think of the Giants, do you refer to them as a winning franchise or losing? I know the last few years it's been losing, but, like, when you pretty much – the Giants have won a lot, especially in the early 2000s. My perspective on it, even just looking – if you stay in New York compared to the Jets, the Giants are still the more attractive franchise there. They have not been so – dysfunctional until the last couple of years. I think before then, that's the word I'm looking for. They were less dysfunctional until recently. So yeah, that's really my take. The Jets have been dysfunctional pretty much forever. I mean, they had Joe Namath in the 60s and they've been dysfunctional ever since. They they can't figure it out. We see it right now with everything going on with Jamal Adams. They have defensive coordinators talking about it, head coach saying something different, a player saying something. It's just a mess. But at least the Giants have, for the most part, had a consistent front office organization there. So they've been a pretty good organization. They're on somewhat of the same page. Which I think Andy Reid has really struggled against the Giants up until a lot of the Giants' really good offensive linemen started retiring. Yes. Uh, so without further ado, Jordan, would you like to do the AFC East for us? or? Uh... Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's run it through. So we'll start with the offense. Um, obvious choice at quarterback, Tom Brady, who was there from 2000 to 2019 with the New England Patriots. Um, then you move on to running back. You get LaShawn McCoy from the Buffalo Bills, who was there from 2015 through 2018. Not very long, not very memorable, but had his moments there with Buffalo. Um, you get three wide receivers in this division. You get Brandon Marshall, who is best known as the Denver Bronco, but spent some time with the Dolphins from 2010 through 2011, and then the New York Jets from 2015 through 2016. Uh, you get Julian Edelman, who played with the Patriots from 2009 through present. Um, then you get Jarvis Landry, who is in Cleveland now, but started his career in Miami with the Dolphins from 2014 through 2017 out of LSU. Um, tight end, also an unquestioned pick here. Rob Gronkowski, 2010 through 2018 with the New England Patriots, put up some all-time numbers, um, third most touchdown catches as a tight end um, in very limited amounts of games. Um, then you get to the offensive line. You get to Brickashaw Ferguson from the Jets at tackle with for, who played with them from 2016 through 2015. You also get Nate Solder at tackle, who played with the Patriots from 2011 through 2017. At guard, you get Logan Mankins from the Patriots, who played there from 2005 through 2013. You get Richie Incognito, who played for, for the Bills in 2009, and then again in 2015 through 2017, and the Miami Dolphins from 2010 through 2013. And then you get Nick Mangold from the Jets, who played – center position for them from 2016 through 2000 or 2006 through 2016 and um, made quite a few pro bowls as the AFC center uh, with the New York Jets. Great job. Uh, before I, I kind of want you to take the lead on this, but before we get to that, I'm going to say one thing. My favorite pick on this list is the Brickshaw Ferguson. The guy was drafted in 06. Uh, this goes on notice. He did not miss a start throughout his entire NFL career. He was drafted the same year as Nick Mangold in 06, and he never missed a start. I think to do that at the left tackle position is something that you don't find often. That's a generational player right he there. And that speaks snap too, by the way. He did not miss a snap. Yeah. yeah. Did not miss a snap. Imagine that. Yeah. That's nuts. Crazy. But um Jordan, um, 
I really like this list. Obviously, there's a lot of Patriots on there. I think there's 12 in total when we get to the defense later. But uh, break down your New England Patriots and why they do or they don't deserve to be uh, on here. Yeah, well, Tom Brady, I mean, that's, you know, unquestioned three Super Bowl yeah. wins in this decade. Are you um, sure? I think Mark Sanchez. Best quarterback Mark Sanchez, of all time. Hey, he, he did get the two AFC championship games. You got to give Mark Sanchez some credit. I'm playing, there. but Tom Brady completely <laughs> destroys everybody. Yeah. And then looking at the offensive line with Logan Mankins, he was one of the best guards in the NFL. Once he wanted to get paid too much money, they decided to ship him out. But he was great with New England Patriots um, before being shipped out. Julian Edelman, to me, some call him a Hall of Famer. I think he's still a fringe Hall of Famer. But when you look at the other receivers in this division, it's really shocking that there haven't there wasn't any great wide receivers in this division, at least playing their prime years in the division. I mean, Jarvis Landry was really good for the Miami Dolphins, but wasn't spectacular. And then Brandon Marshall didn't really do a whole lot with the Dolphins or the Jets. Um, he was really a letdown for both those franchises after so much success in Denver. So um, Julian Edelman made a lot of sense. I think he was the most consistent receiver Um on this all decade team. So there's no question there that he belonged there. Um, and then Nate Solder, again, another guy was great in new England goes to New York because new England doesn't want to pay another tackle. That's just how they operate. So overall, I mean, I think they chose the right Patriots on this list. They were the guys that um, were really the staples of the franchise at certain parts of the last decade. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Despite Nate Solder, I don't think he's ever made a pro bowl. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, but I think when you're judging the tackles off the AFC East over this past decade, Solder played there majority of the decade, and he was definitely one of the better uh, tackles. Look at that. Jordan, I'll let you take that one. Uh, <laughs> comment from John Suggs. Yeah, Danny Amendola. I mean, to me, I don't think he belongs on the list. He had some nice moments. I feel like when he was on the field in New England with Julian Edelman, he was almost – not irrelevant might be the wrong word, but he didn't produce very often. Now, when Edelman went down with an injury and Amendola was there, he did step up and had a nice season. Um, I believe 2017 or 2018 um, before moving on. But I'm not sure if Danny Amendola can get there. But this is a weak division for wide receivers, so there could be a case. But I don't see it over Landry, Marshall, or Edelman. I definitely think you're right there. Um, my other thing is Richie Incognito. Now, this guy's a very interesting story. Before we get to the defense. Uh, Incognito in 2012, you guys remember, he won the Good Guy Award. Yeah. Uh, but then chaos sparked in 2013 with a misconduct of the treatment of his teammate, John Martin, Jonathan Martin. Then he left the team with the suspension that was lifted in 2014. Then in 2017, there was an issue in a playoff game with Ngakwe. Uh, I believe this was Buffalo against Jacksonville, the wild card matchup. Uh, then he was, then he wanted to retire. Right. And then he sat out in 2018 due to contract issues with the Bills and then suspended in 2019 for two games. So the point I'm getting at here, guys, he's kind of been all over the place, but he's still going strong in this league. I think overcoming a lot of adversity. Look, nobody's perfect. Uh, You know, I don't necessarily like agree with a lot of the things that he's been reported about, but um, I definitely think for him to be on this list is definitely a good thing. I think his talent, uh, you know, is sometimes gets a little bit overlooked because uh, it's definitely very hard to find um, a good. It's a lot easier to find good guards than good tackles, if you know what I'm saying. But I think for teams like Buffalo, for a guy like him to stand out, I know he played for Miami as well. I definitely think he definitely deserves to be there. 
Uh, Randy Moss, but he was only there one season. Well, is he referring to the decade? I'm assuming, right? Twenty. Well, that was yeah, because that wasn't that wasn't that undefeated season. It was 08, so it doesn't count. That's right. Yeah, I think it was 2009 or 2010. One of those years where he was traded. Yeah, he was traded again. Only played four games with the, with the AFC East team. So I mean, yeah. Back to incognito. I just remembered the 2019. Wasn't that the funeral home incident? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was an incident at a funeral home. But yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, you know, and oh, I know Roger Goodell only lives 20 minutes away from me, so <laughs> I'm like, how do you let him? Uh, how do you let him get away with so much stuff? Anyway, Jordan, let's get to the defense. Yeah, so starting with the defense here, um, you're going to get two defensive ends, two defensive tackles because it's a lot of them do run more of a four-three defense. So on, at the defensive end spot, you get Cameron Wake from Miami. Um, he was there from 2009 through 2018. You also get Mario Will Williams, who was with the Bills from 2012 through 2015, and then the Dolphins in 2016. Um, at the defensive tackle slot, you get Kyle Williams from the Bills, who played there from 2006 through 2018. You get Vince Wilfork from the Patriots, who played from 2004 through 2014. Uh, the two linebacker slots in the middle, you get David Harris, who played with the Jets from 2007 through 2016, and then the Patriots in 2017. Um, someone that you actually I forget played with New England. He was a nice player as well. And you get Dante Hightower, who's been with the Patriots in 2012 and is still there today. Um, at outside linebacker, you get Chandler Jones, who played with the Patriots from 2012 to 2015. Now down in Arizona as a Cardinal because typical Patriots fashion, they didn't want to pay him. Um, then at the cornerback slots, you get Darrell Revis, who played with the Jets from 2007 through 2012. Went to New England in 2014 and then back to the Jets in 2015 and 2016. You also get Stephon Gilmore, who was with the Bills from 2012 to 2016 and has been with the Patriots since 2017. And then at safety, you get Rashad Jones from Miami, who's been there the entire decade from 2010 to 2019. And Devin McCourty, who was a cornerback, converted to a safety later on with New England from 2010 to present. Yeah. Uh, great stuff, Jordan. You know, I got to say a lot of these linemen here make a lot of sense. I really like the Cameron Wake one. I know he's a lot older now. Uh, Mario Williams, despite, you know, being a big name from Houston, I think he spent his best years with the Bills. Kyle Williams played his entire career with the Bills. Ten and a half sacks in one of his last years as a DT. That's a lot for defensive tackle. Uh, Darrell Revis with the five picks when coming back to the Jets for his second tenure in 2015. And then Revis Island closed three years ago. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, a lot of people forget he started his career with the Bills. Yeah, he was a Bill. And then the six interceptions last year, I want to say? Mm-hmm. Maybe he had six. I think six or seven. Yeah, yeah. On there. something like that. Do you think he's the best cornerback in the league at the moment? He's in the conversation. He's there at one or two. Um, I think, you know, he had a chance to win defensive player of the year last year. Um He's done really well in the Patriots system. They've always been great at stopping number one receivers and just sort of limiting them because whatever you do best, Bill Belichick's going to try to take that away. And I think Stephon Gilmore has only elevated that with New England, so I definitely think he's in consideration there for the top cornerback in the NFL. Now, Fonz, I want to get to you here too. I'm looking at this list, and I'm looking at Devin McCourty, you know, older guys, Dante Hightower, guys who have been in the league since the early part of the decade. Everyone forgets McCourty had seven picks as a rookie in 2010. How important is it? I mean, I know you experienced it with Ed Reed. 
not saying Devin McCourty is on the mm. same level as Ed Reed, but uh, how important it is to get a safety like that for a long period of time? Because we see guys who come and go. Like, you know, yeah, well, we forget that Devin McCourty actually was drafted as a cornerback coming out of Rutgers, and then they moved him to the safety spot because Belichick needed help with the safety spot. And uh, classic Belichick move, it worked. <laughs> He's been a consistent <laughs> mainstay at the safety spot. It just shows you need a – Someone there at the last line of defense to play center field back there. I mean, I've experienced seeing it with Ed Reed, and it's kind of a little bit similar to what the Patriots had with Devin McCourty still playing there uh, today. I was like I said, moving him from cornerback all the way to safety, it helped him a lot with his career. And yeah, it's very important to have someone like that, and he's been consistent. There's really no signs of him slowing down. It's crazy. I forgot he was there since 2010. Yeah. So Jordan, I got to talk to. Did we get special teams yet? We're going to go over that now. We have not yet. We'll go over that now. So, yeah, kick returner slash punt returner in the AFC East is Jakeem Grant, who played with the Dolphins from 2016 through present. Um, and then at kicker, you get Steven Goskowski, who's been in New England from 2006 to 2019, um, no longer in New England now. And then you get punter Brandon Fields, who played for Miami from 2007 through 2014. So Miami racking up a, a couple of names there on special teams, Brandon Fields. Assistant guy in the league. I know Jakeem Grant has had four turn touchdowns since 2016. Jordan Guskowski has been the kicker forever. Uh, do you think Joe Judge potentially brings him to the Giants after the Aldrich Rosas hit and run? I think it's possible. If Guskowski wants to play and he wants to go there, I think that is a possibility. Um for him to go there. I know he started showing a little bit of inconsistency the last two years, but I think Steven Guskowski is still a guy that can get it done. I think he's taken some time to sort of step away and maybe getting out of New England could be a good fit for him. Um, Getting out of just the pressures of playing under Bill Belichick for so long, because that is something that we're seeing even with Tom Brady, who's down in Tampa, you know, having the time of his life right now, feeling freedom for the first time. So um, that could be something that could happen with Steven Guskowski for sure. I definitely think other teams like the Bears could look at somebody like that. James, uh, Belichick has, you know, he's actually, we didn't get to the head coach yet, but um, any thoughts on the special teams here? Uh, no, I'm really not surprised with the kicker. I mean, he played there longer than Vinatieri did. Everyone thinks Vinatieri, Vinatieri. Yeah. No, really, Guskowski's yeah. been there longer. And Vinatieri was actually a cult for longer. I also look at this as what we did offense, defense, special teams. I mean, if you could, you could just do, you, you should just have Patriots across the board. <laughs> yeah. Like, no offense to the other teams, but these Patriots, man, Belichick and them upstate, up in uh, Foxborough, really, I don't know what water they're drinking, <laughs> but the rest of the uh, AFC East needs to drink some of that. I definitely agree. And funds. Players of the decade, and then we'll get yes. to uh, the head coach, which I don't decade, think will be yeah. a shocker. Players of the decade are now scroll at the bottom for you to see. Yeah, yeah. Players of the decade, you get uh, Tom Brady, the Patriots, obvious. You get Darrell Revis with the Jets. I mean, no doubter there. Revis Island was the most feared place in the NFL for every wide receiver for a good five, six-year stretch there. Um, you get Kyle Williams with the Bills, and then Cameron Wake for the Miami Dolphins. And then coach of the decade is no surprise, Bill Belichick, because I think every other team in this – Division has had, I'm guessing, at least three or four coaches over the past decade. If I were to look right now, they've had three or four coaches each, and Belichick's been there for 20 years, so no and surprise there. 
some teams are still paying at least two coaches that aren't on the team. Um, also, I just want to get back to the play, uh, players of the decade. Um, we see we have each one player from each team, which is cool. Yeah, it's not strictly one team with the four players. So I like how they did nice that format. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 something nice to see. I really like that uh, they have a couple. I mean, it's pretty much all defensive players except for Tom Brady. I think so far we've seen a trend. A lot of the AFC divisions had offensive guys, but no, not for the AFC East. Uh, partially because three of the offenses in the AFC East have been pretty dysfunctional over the past decade. No pun intended there. But, uh, Jordan, you know, I've, I want to ask you this last question as uh, we'll get to the head coach of the decade. Who? Bill Belichick, no surprise there, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he broke a lot of Jets fans' hearts back in 2000, but there there he is. Uh, obviously, he cemented a legacy there, Jordan, and he's still there, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Where does he rank on the all-time head coach list for you? I think he's still, for me, he's number one. I mean, nine Super Bowl appearances, six championships. The way he has run his franchise may not be the most – pretty way may not be the most beautiful way may not be the one that the new generation of players want to play for the way things are going with more individualistic styles and stuff like that but what he's done over the past two decades in new england i think there's no doubt he's the greatest coach of all time um yeah i I just don't really see any competition with him i definitely agree with you i think the closest things you know vince lombardi don shula those guys but the one thing about Belichick, too, uh, technically he has eight rings. I, I don't want to get yeah, into that. Giants. Yeah, um, which is crazy because, I mean, I know I don't, you know, I don't, I don't mean to keep bringing up the Giants, but I just see a lot of similarities between the two organizations, to be honest with you. And now with Judge there as the head coach, I mean, it just seems like now we have a lot of their players, too, like Deion Lewis, Nate Solder, uh, Nate Ebner, like these guys are just coming over, like, what do you think is going to happen with New England over the over the next couple of years? Like, are these guys going to uh, disperse after Belichick leaves, or what do you think is going to happen? I think Belichick's in there for as long as he can, as long as his health holds up. I think he's a guy. He's just one of those people that wants to be on the football field until the day he dies, and that's just how he's been. He grew up, you know, the son of a football coach, and came up that way. So I think he's going to be there for a long time, but you look at the way the organizations run Robert Kraft, who, if there was a list for this, would probably go down as the best owner in football over the last decade and really over the last two decades. Um, what he's done, not sticking his nose in the business of Bill Belichick, letting him do his thing other than the Tom Brady Garoppolo saga. That's the only time he put his foot down. Um, and it did pay off for them, at least in the short term, um, because they were able to get two rings after that. But I see with New England, I think right now this year coming up, um, we talked on it last time I was here. I think it's going to be a year where Belichick's going to figure out who he has that he likes and everything else is just going to kind of go to the wayside and he's going to not rebuild but retool for the next five, six years. And I could potentially see him building one more Super Bowl team, but it might take a few more years and he has to get the right quarterback, which I may or may not be Jared Stidham. It, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see if Stidham can fill in that void. I like how you use the word retool. Funds, any uh, final thoughts for Jordan here? No, I mean, if we're going through this entire team, it just shows the consistency <laughs> with the Patriots. Um, a model organization. Seriously, I mean, going from Tom Brady, uh, Belichick, and you got Dante Hightower and Chandler, like Chandler Jones, just consistency throughout. And it's not like, you know, they were players like starting in 2016 and now. It's been like 
literally since the early since 2010 and until you know the end of the decade. So they've been there for the whole time, but consistent. So model consistency. That's all. That's all I'm going to say for that. So definitely a very good list. Very good all decade team. I would yeah. say. And one thing you'll look at too, you'll see it in the other in the other teams in the list and stuff is that there are players that are on all decade teams and other spots that were in New England first and New England didn't want to didn't want to pay them or even guys on this list that were you know considered all decade players that they didn't want to pay Chandler Jones who's quietly been a top three defensive end over the last mm-hmm. five six years they said man we'll we'll go get a guy like Kyle Van Noy and we'll just place him with that and get similar production for a guy that's not nearly as talented as Chandler Jones and so that really speaks to the way Belichick has run his team and um, while it may turn off some people it definitely has worked and I think it's going to continue to work for the next foreseeable future. I'm going to be honest with you, and this will be the last thing before we let you go here. Um, Kyle Van Noy, everyone forgets he was a lion. Stephon mm-hmm. Gilmore, everyone forgets he was a bill, right? And, yeah. and Wes Welker was a dolphin, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Everyone forgets that because they build a legacy in New England. Nobody remembers who their yeah. previous team was. Yeah. Deion Brantz, no one, no one knows his name. No one knows that he was in Seattle for years. They just know his two stints in New England. That, uh, Pretty much <laughs> 20, 25 yard out route in Super Bowl 46 that set up the heat. MVP, right? He was MVP of the Super, one of the Super Bowls. Yeah, 2004. Yep. He won the MVP. Yeah. He took, yep. took, yep. took, yep. took yep. one of Brady's Super Bowl MVP. Yep. Yep. Him and Edelman both. They took away some MVP. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Jordan, on behalf of us here at Review and Preview, I'd like to thank you very much. Yeah, your connection dropped off there. But, yeah, thank you for having me um, on the show, man. I'm always glad to come on, and you guys are doing great stuff. And congrats on your 100th episode. I heard you guys talk about it earlier, and uh, that's big. So definitely keep it up here. Thank you. Really appreciate it. We hope you have a good night. Thank you. You do the same. All right. See you, Jordan. See you, Jordan. Later. That was Jordan Spurgeon, the Sun Devil from California. So, guys, wow. We got through the AFC. We know – that's going to take us a little bit longer than the NFC will, but let's uh, let's immediately transition into the NFC South, James. All righty. For offense, no other than Drew Brees from the Saints, 2006 to the present. Running back, Christian McCaffrey, Panthers, 2017 to present. We saw what he did this past few seasons. Wide receiver, we got three of them. One in Julio Jones with the Falcons, 2011 to present. Wide receiver Michael Thomas, Drew Brees' favorite guy in the Saints from 2016 to present. Then we got Mike Evans. I'm pretty sure he's going to be Tom Brady's best buddy. Buccaneers from 2014 to present. Then we go to tight end. Greg Olson, Panthers again, 2011 to 2019. He's also been very good. Offensive tight, Teron Armstead, the Saints, 2013 to present. Guard. Jory Evans, Saints, 2006 to 2016. Trey Turner, Panthers, 2014 to 2019. Ryan Conklin, um, Panthers, 2007 to 2018. Ryan Ramchuk, Saints from 2017 to present. So a lot of Saint guys in there and a lot of Panthers. I noticed that they had nine on this list. Uh, looking at this list, obviously Drew Drew Brees makes sense. Best completion percentage in the league yeah. for the last three years. Uh, McCaffrey's caught over a hundred balls the last two seasons. Actually, he was only 
He was the first player since Marshall Falk in 1999 to have over 1,300 rushing yards and 1,000 uh, receiving yards. A little fun fact. Uh, and then funds, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at these wide receivers, guys like Jones, Thomas, and Evans. These seem like no-brainers, but believe it or not, do you know a guy like Mike Evans has never hit 100 catches in his career? It's nuts. I, I didn't even know because he's a yeah, he's a vertical threat, but, you know, he has one of those stats where every season he's been in the league, he's had over 1,000 yards. I think the lowest he had was – a thousand three, I believe he did yep. barely break it. So, listen, yeah, he doesn't have the catches up like Michael Thomas, but he's a vertical threat. And he does get the yards. So, you know, tale of two different receivers and quarterbacks too. I definitely agree. I Michael Thomas breaking the record for most catches. Mike Evans, yeah, you know, he caught a lot, of, a lot of long balls. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Michael Thomas has never caught fewer than 92 passes since entering the league four years ago. Wow, that's insane. That is insane. Uh, we look at Greg Olson. Three seasons of a thousand receiving yards or more for a tight end is fantastic. I think. Yeah, very yep. good. Uh, uh, this offensive line, guys. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it. Terran Armstead has yet to put together a 16 game season since 2013. I think Jake Matthews should be there over Terran Armstead because Matthews has only missed one start since entering the league six years ago for the Falcons. That is, yeah, Jake Matthews. yeah. And even Alex Mackey put it uh, second too. Fonz, another guy that I know. Very true. Very true. Uh, I know who they put, Ryan Khalil, right? Yeah, uh, you, you cut off. That's why I didn't I didn't hear you for a second. So sorry if I didn't mean to interrupt you there if you were talking. You just paused for a second. No, so. it's okay. No, I was basically just talking about the center position like you guys were Ryan Khalil, Alex Mack. I mean, just kind of mm. pick, pick your poison there. The you know the biggest thing to me the best offensive lineman on this list is Jari Evans in my opinion I think uh, honestly he was a top ten offensive lineman in this entire past decade yeah uh, I remember Father, I don't know if you remember using him in Madden ninety seven overall pretty much every single year him and Carl Nix the two guards I always yeah drafted. yeah they're both ninety sevens and they were both from the Saints I remember them um, let's get to the defense James. All right, defense. All right, we are starting with Car- Car- Cameron. Cameron, thank you, Jordan. Saints, 2011 to present. Charles Johnson, Panthers, 2007 to 2017. Gerard McCoy, Buccaneers. Two, he was on two teams. He was on the Buccaneers from 2010 to 2018, and in 2019 he was on the Panthers. Kiwan Short, Panthers, 2013 to present. Luke Keekley, Panthers, 2012 to 2019. Thomas Davis, Panthers, 2005 to 2018. A lot of Panthers. Levant David, Buccaneers, 2012 to present. Desmond Trufant, Falcons, 2013 to 2019. Marshall Lattimore, Saints, 2017 to present. Roman Harper, Saint, he was on two teams. He was on the Saints from 2006 to 2013 and then made another stint with the Saints in 2016. Uh, then he was on the Panthers from 2014 to 2015. William Moore on the Falcons from 2009 to 2015. Yeah, I definitely like this list, the defensive players. I see uh, John Suggs brought up another comment. Luke Keekley, Greg Olson, yep. Mike Thomas. Yep, definitely agree with you. Hey, Kyle Russo rejoins the stream. There we go. Hey, give him a nice shout out. 
Yeah, look at that. Second time he's joined uh, the show tonight. Yeah, we'll get about Matt. I have a whole rant on Matt Bryant. I completely uh, disagree with Matt Bryant on this list. But uh, let's uh, let's talk about the defense first. Uh, a guy like Cameron Jordan, who's had at least 12 sacks in each of the last three seasons. A lot of times you look at these stars, you take these numbers for granted. It's very tough to put these numbers up in the NFL. Uh, I think Luke Keekley is the best middle linebacker uh, of this decade, hands down. Uh, 164 tackles as a rookie, uh, four picks in 2013 and 2015. Thomas Davis, a guy who tore his ACL three times, uh, you know, uh, 13 career picks as well. And he's still playing. He's on the Chargers now. They signed him after playing his whole career at the Panthers. Yeah. Charles Johnson, a guy who's very under the radar. uh, And I don't really – Remember him too much. I know he played when uh, they had Tyler Brayton and Julius Peppers there a little bit. Um, Levante David makes sense. Over 100 tackles nearly mm-hmm. every season. Desmond Trufant's a good young player. Lattimore over Josh Norman. Now, th- this is uh, very interesting. I know Lattimore's only been in the league for three years, but uh, do we really think he should be there over Josh Norman? May- I mean, Maybe he does. I know the impact he's had has been huge. It's a bigger impact than Norman's one season where he was a Pro Bowl or All-Pro and got paid by the Redskins, I think. I would definitely – if there was a third cornerback slot, I'd put Norman, uh, but I think Lattimore's the perfect spot here for this one, him and Trufant. Kyle Russo just commented, pretty sure Thomas Davis is with the Redskins now. Uh, he might be right. We'll have to, we'll have to confirm that. Uh, I mean, at least I'll say this, though, but overall the defense is – like you said with Charles Johnson, Levante David's one of those guys that, you know, underrated linebackers. No one, a lot of people talk about it. He's been a consistent 100-plus tackler every season. So I definitely think overall this defense, I, I think it's the defense correct from the top to bottom, in my opinion. Yeah, and Russo is right, by the way. Uh, mm. he, was with, he is with the Redskins now. Um, William Moore did not play very long, but having 16 yeah. picks in a five- to six-year span is pretty fantastic, in my opinion. But uh, let's get to that special teams. Your special teams, you're looking at kick returner slash punt returner Devin Hester from the Falcons from 2014 to 2015. Kicker, Matt Bryant. I know Tom and John uh, both have different ideas on that. So the Falcons from 2009 to 2019. Then he he was on the Bucs earlier in his career from 2005 to 2008. And punter Thomas Morstead, Saints, 2009 to 2019. Okay. I, th- I think er- all of us can agree with Devin Hester on this list. Yeah. Yes. I can agree with Thomas Morstead. He's been in, in the league for a very long time. He's done his job well. Notorious for the onside kick in that one Super Bowl. Yes. Uh, I believe coming out of halftime. Now, Matt Bryant, very interesting case. I know John Suggs likes Matt Bryant on this list, and here's why I don't. Uh, Morton Anderson would be the only one he would put over Matt Bryant. Now that, that's interesting. Uh, Morton Anderson obviously played till he was like 47 years old, 48 years old. Uh, I definitely think he was an excellent kicker. So here's my thought process on Matt Bryant. He had a really good window from, I think it was 2010 to 2018, and then last year he was awful. Uh, he went nine for 14 before being cut. And I think Will Lutz should be here, in my opinion. I I understand Bryant was very accurate over the last eight years. But I 
I, I'm a Giants fan, so I remember the two years Bryant was on the team. It was the first playoff game I ever watched, the 2002 meltdown in San Francisco where the Giants were up 38-14, and then they come back, they lose 39-38, where Bryant blows a field goal, uh, shanked it, and then the last play of the game, they're going down the field, they have a chance to win the game. And, um, you know, a lot of these kickers and punters aren't as good without a legit long snapper uh, as well. That's definitely uh, a huge part of this list as well. I just, I, I give Will Lutz the edge. I think I've seen more of him early on than I saw for Matt Bryant. As where Will Lutz will probably have a decline at some point, like all kickers do. But I think his his youngest years right now were a little bit better than Matt Bryant. I, I can I can see that. Uh, I just think maybe think how long will when did you say Lutz started again with the Will, will Lutz has been on the Saints I, I believe since 2016. I think maybe they give the edge more towards Brian again because of more longevity. He was a consistent kicker. Yeah, but I can see your argument there. With I, it's a to- I think it could be more of a toss up, but I mean I would probably give the edge to Brian because he's been on the team a little bit longer. I would say. Yeah, I, I definitely see your point. I think long snapper should be on these lists, guys. Their positions too, and big part of the reason why the long snapper was made a position because of a guy like Junkin, Trey Junkin, who came in and blew the snap in the wild card game. Um, you know, I hate I hate to keep using those references, but um, it's it's a attrition. It's a reality of the situation. If that long snapper gives a proper snap then the whole fate of the team has changed. The kicker probably makes that kick, and we look at kickers very differently. Yeah. No. But, uh, James, I know you're going to step out for a moment, and Fonz is going to run through the uh, – actually, I'm sorry. We still have uh, – Yeah, I still got the – Coach the NFC, and coach. players. Yep, so quickly go through that. Uh, NFC South players of the decade, you got – Levant David from the Buccaneers from 2012 to present. Julio Jones, no surprise. Uh, Falcons 2011 to present. Drew Brees 2000, for the Saints 2006 to present. And Cam Newton Panthers 2011 to present. Um, honestly, not a bad list. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't have any arguments there. Sean Payton was fantastic, so I think. Yeah. Uh, yep, I agree with John. He also brings up point. John Casey, been playing for the Panthers since 1995, played with them his whole career. That's another good point as well. Uh, but yeah, so I think um, I think Sean Payton belongs there. The players of the decade all make sense. So hmm. Sean Payton's and, done a lot of good down there. Yeah, um, and with that, with that team. They have, um, but I think the Panthers have done a lot of good too this decade, especially with Ron Rivera kind of revitalizing that team a little bit, especially on defense. Yes, especially with Cam Newton with that dual threat. Dual yep. threat. All right, so we will transition now to the NFC North. Funds, you take the keys. Yep, uh, and as James will be stepping out for a quick second, he said he'll be right back. We're going to add him on back to stream. When he comes back, I'll add him back here. So let's go to the NFC North. The offense quarterback Aaron Rodgers, he's been there since 05. No surprise there, in my opinion. Running back, also no surprise, Adrian Peterson from the Vikings to 07 to 2016. They got three wide receivers here. So we got Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams are the two Packers ones. Obviously, Nelson, uh, earlier part, Adams was a little bit after Nelson kind of they kind of transitioned together as Nelson on his way out. Adams came in. The other wide receiver, no surprise here, Calvin Johnson from 07 to 15. 
Uh, yes, double checked it. Right, correct. 07 to 15. The tight end, Kyle Rudolph from 2011 to present. Forgot he was on the team that long. The two tackles, both Packers, David Bakhtiari at the left with 2013 to present. And right tackles, Brian Laga, who just recently left to sign with the LA Chargers, I'm not mistaken, but he was on the Packers for the whole decade from 10 to 19. Two guards, you got Kyle Long from the Bears, who just recently retired. And Josh Sitton, another Packer, who also played for the Bears for two seasons. And at center, you know him as a Ram, but people forget he was a Viking. That is John Sullivan from 08 to 14. That is your NFC North offense. Tom, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, I can't argue with Aaron Rodgers, a guy who did not throw more than eight picks throughout the entire decade. Uh, AP makes a lot of sense at tailback. Mm -hmm. Uh, that 2,000-yard season he had in 2012 where he was the MVP. Uh, looking at the wide receivers, Jordy Nelson was great. Uh, there was there was a two-year stretch where he had like 13, 14 touchdowns a year. Yeah. I know he had 15 in 2011. Uh, Calvin Johnson had 16 in 2011, a guy who almost had 2,000 receiving yards. <laughs> the guy was ridiculous. Yeah, and in 2012, that was the year he had like 122 catches and almost 2,000 yards. Yeah. Uh, Devontae Adams is on his way off as well. Bakhtiari's been a force. John Sullivan with the Minnesota Vikings. I definitely agree with that. And the Packers on the right side, sitting in Malaga, they're big hog mollies up there too. So I definitely, because, yeah, overall very solid. No arguments here. All right, so um, welcome back, James. I missed you so much. We're going to go over the defense now. Um, <laughs> Miss you too, Fonz. The two, so the defense here, they did a 4-3 for the NFC North because a lot of teams do the 4-3 defense there. The two ends... Julius Peppers, who played with the Bears and the Packers. Uh, and the other end is Jared Allen, who was a Viking and also Bear. So two ends that played for two teams within the division. The two tackles, Ladomic and Sue, who was on the Lions, as we know, and Linval Joseph. That's a beefy, beefy tackle combination there. we got three linebackers. Uh, it's Clay Matthews, Lance Briggs, and Chad Greenway. They played for the Packers, Bears, and Vikings, respectively. The two corners, Charles Tillman and Darius Slay for the Bears and Lions, respectively. Darius Slay recently just went to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the two safeties, Harrison Smith, present, the only present player on this one, and Glover Quinn, who retired back in 2018 with the Detroit Lions. So, yeah, Harrison Smith, the only active player on the defense, or with that team, excuse me. Yeah. That's You bring up a really good point, Harrison Smith. Yeah, everyone else is gone. Uh, well, the who's still playing, I, I know that, and I, Darius Slay still playing. Talk about within the division. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely see that, and Linval Joseph too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm looking at this defense funds. Julius Peppers, the double digit sack numbers. He even put them up in 2017, his last year. Uh, Dominic Sue actually had two fumble returns for touchdowns last year. I don't know if anyone yeah. knew that, but yeah, uh, yes, yeah. he really is a beast. And then you look at guys like Jared Allen, double digit sacks his entire time in Minnesota. He had the 22 sacks in 2011. The dude is a boss. And then you look at Clay Matthews. Who could ever forget discount double check and Clay Matthews, <laughs> top two players in Green Bay. He gets sacks, causes turnovers. He's still playing at a high level. He had eight sacks last year at 33 years old. So, you know, I definitely think he's a good player. Charles Tillman, I love that guy. One of my favorite corners to watch. Funs. Eight career touchdowns. Explain the Tillman effect. I mean, he's just peanut, peanut punch. Peanut Tillman, the guy, literally, and well, on top of the interceptions, doing the touchdowns. He basically just punched it perfectly on the ball carrier, so it popped out from behind. He's able to grab it and get the touchdown. Really, one of my favorite cornerbacks to watch uh, growing up. 
Huge fan of Tillman. In 2012, Charles Tillman had 10, 10 forced fumbles. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, we skipped over Chad Greenway. You know, I, I watched – when I was doing these lists the other night, I watched his retirement video, and it was kind of sad because he spent his whole career with the Vikings. He was a very under-the-radar type of player. Uh, at the very beginning of this decade, he was putting up consistent numbers, like 150 tackles a season. Definitely an outside linebacker to keep in note there. Darius Slay with the eight picks the other year. Harrison Smith, in my opinion, he's a top two safety in the NFL still. Uh, Glover Quinn on his way up. But, yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely like this list, Funds. Yeah, so we'll go end it off with the special teams, and I'll talk about the players of the decade, too. So special teams, Cordell Patterson is now your, is your kick slash punt returner. Obviously, we knew him at a time with the Vikings, went to the Raiders, Patriots, and now racing with the Bears now. Mason Crosby's your kicker, still there today since 07. And your punter is Lions, former Lions punter Sam Martin, who just left the team back in 2019. So those are your three specialists there. I agree with all of them. Yeah. Uh, I know we're looking at uh, Mason Crosby. I think he's gotten better with age, to be honest with you. He made a career high 92% of his field goals last year. Yeah. So we'll move on to now the players of the decade and the head coach of the yes. decade. So that players of the decade, the Bears, it's Matt Forte, who was not mentioned previously. Calvin Johnson's the Lions one. That's kind of obvious. Aaron Rodgers, again, obvious one. And Adrian Peterson for the Vikings, they're all pretty obvious on this one. And the coach, I think this is more obvious, too. Mike McCarthy from 06, 2018, now with uh, yeah. Dallas Cowboys. So I think yeah. the, these were all kind of obvious ones here. The only argument would be Mike Zimmer, but I think he came in too late. He came in in 2014, and I think McCarthy's been there so much longer. He's had so much more success, in my opinion, uh, getting a Super Bowl. Uh, I definitely think McCarthy deserves to be there. So we'll get to the NFC West. NFC West, you know, um, we're going to start with, Russell Wilson at quarterback, who's been on the Seahawks since 2012. He's been a winner ever since entering the league. Uh, he's never finished worse than 9-7 and seven throughout his entire career. Do you believe that? He's had a winning season every single year in his career, and he's never thrown more than 11 picks in a season. We move on. We talk about Marshawn Lynch. Beast mode, Skittles, whatever you like to call him. The, uh, <laughs> that touchdown run in the playoffs where he ran through half the state of Louisiana. Uh, Todd Gurley. Big guy for the Rams who just left. He's now Falcon, Larry Fitz, Baldwin, George Kittle, a tight end offensive line, Joe Staley, who just retired for the 49ers, Mike Yapati, who played for three different teams, Hawks, Cards, and Niners, Max Unger at center, who just retired uh, from the Saints, but began the decade with the Seahawks, and then Roger Saffold at right guard, Russell Okun at right tackle. Thoughts on the offense? Um, Ty Gurley. Yes. Uh, don't know how I feel with his arthritis. Yeah, arthritis in his knees. Um, he kind of started to fall off at the end of last season when he got hurt. I think those first couple seasons make up for it too. And yeah. if you're placing a who would if you take him out, you take out another running back. I'm assuming you leave one running back with Lynch. Then who's the other wide receiver you put in there? You know. Yeah. That's just, that's what I'm thinking. No, that, that's, a, that's a valid point, but because the early half does. But if there was somebody else to replace Ty Gurley, I think Gurley would be out. 
Oh yeah, he'd be the first one out. But I'm trying to think of another receiver, and there's not one that like I, I wouldn't say Brandon Cooks is a guy you replace over Todd Gurley if you put another receiver. No. Yeah, David Johnson. I don't think so. That one season wasn't enough for me. So it's been floppy. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I get your argument, but I think you got to think like, which other player would even fit in that spot? Yeah, right. Marshawn Lynch has had at least eleven had at least eleven rushing touchdowns over a four year span. That's fantastic to even think about. Larry Fitz, a guy who averages over a hundred catches a year, uh, and George Kittle nearly had fourteen hundred receiving yards a couple of years ago. I think he's on the rise. I think his ceiling. I don't know if his ceiling is higher than Kelsey. But I think at some point Kittle will overtake Kelsey as the top tight end. I can see it. Yeah, Definitely. I think so. Definitely. So uh, let's get to that defense, guys. We have Chandler Jones, who's been on the Cardinals since leaving New England in 2015. Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah. 20 and a half sacks a couple of years ago. From the defensive tackle position to get 20 and a half sacks, I'm sorry. But – uh, Justin Smith, a guy who I remember him from the NFC Championship game against the Giants. Uh, Clayus Campbell started his career with the Cardinals. Bobby Wagner, has been on the Seahawks since 2012. Patrick Willis, we know him. He was probably the best middle linebacker in the NFL before Luke Keekley came about. Uh, Navarro Bowman, also from the 49ers. The other linebacker is secondary. Richard Sherman played with the Seahawks and the 49ers since 2018. Patrick Peterson, who's been... Longest 10 Cardinals in the 11 outside of Fitzy, Earl Thomas, and Cam Chancellor representing the Legion of Boom. Uh, yeah, Bobby Wagner is the only remaining piece of that, by the way. So I'm looking at this here. Chandler Jones has been a beast with the Cardinals. We just talked about Donald Fonz. Remember Justin Smith? Yeah, I remember Justin Smith. He was a problem for the Niners, and I was one of those guys I was worried about, worried about when the Ravens were up against him. But he was a guy in the Bengals, and he, he always gave the Ravens problems because he was a former Bengal, too. Went to the Bengals and the Niners. He was always a consistent defensive tackle. Played a little bit of end, too. He kind of played all over the line. And wherever they lined him up, it worked. Yeah, that's the name. When I saw them, I'm like, wow, I forgot about Justin Smith. I remember we were the reason. He was the reason why the Giants lost the game against the 49ers in the regular season. Um, yep. That year they won uh, the Lombardi Trophy. Bobby Wagner. That one year, he had 167 tackles, which is insane. And Bobby Wagner's made the Pro Bowl every year since 2014. Quietly, guys. Uh, that's a little fun fact for you there. Patrick Willis, tackling machine, 174 tackles as a rookie. Man, old oh man. And then Navarro Bowman, another good style of linebacker. You look at Richard Sermon, back-to-back eight-pick seasons in 2012-2013. I think there was a three- to four-year window where Richard Sherman was the best cornerback in all of football. Uh, And he's still only 31 years old. A little fun fact about him there. Patrick Peterson made the Pro Bowl every year from 2011 to 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, great players. We'll get to the uh, special teams. Tyler Lockett, the return man on both kicks and punts. Steven Hauschka. Played in Seattle from 2011 to 16. And Johnny Hecker, the punter for the Rams, who's been going strong since 2012. No arguments. I think that's pretty yeah. much yeah. I think those are, those Maybe are a lot. Maybe Greg Zerline. Maybe Greg Zerline instead of Hauschka. Maybe. I think the Hauschka, the Hauschka Super Bowl, because he wasn't that. He won that Super Bowl. He helped him win that one. I think that, True. that gives him the up just a little bit over Greg Zerline. But Zerline would be like a close second for me. I agree with the entire defense. Um, you know what? 
I know we're done with this here, but back to the offense for just one second. Can't put Todd Gurley on the list before Frank Gore. I'm sorry. But, uh, Frank Gore got snubbed. I think I forgot about that's a that see, that's the thing. The Frank, next it's like, yeah, I would put him over Todd Gurley, but he might how long was he on the he was on the team with the Niners in the Super Bowl? Frank Gore, he played at least four years of that decade with the Niners. He had four thousand yard seasons in this decade. Todd Gurley, had, Todd Gurley had close to an offensive player of the year. I think that might. Uh, Todd Gurley had 17 touchdowns a couple of years back, too. So it's definitely hard. It's definitely yeah. hard. I think it's a flip flip a coin right there, you know? Yeah. I think Gore is a very close third on that list. We get to NFC West players of the decade. We have Larry Fitzgerald for the Cardinals, Aaron Donald. For the Rams, Joe Staley and Russell Wilson. Joe Staley is the only player who is no longer on their respective team in the NFC West. He just retired this past season. Once a 49er, only a 49er. Now I feel like Eli Manning started a trend with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) NFC West coach of the decade, in my opinion, he was the NFC coach of the decade. And Pete Carroll, what are your thoughts on that bold statement, Fonz? I agree. I definitely would agree with you on there. I mean, literally made the Seahawks. They only won one Super Bowl, but like it's been a constant playoff threat. And even though they missed some guys here and there, they still are always a playoff presence. Makes the team work. So I I actually agree with that statement. Definitely in the running for NFC Coach of the Decade. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Seattle should have been as close to Green Bay as they were this year. And I'll be honest with you. I think the Seahawks would have given the 49ers a bigger fight in the NFC Championship game than Green Bay did this yeah. year. Definitely. I agree. Coming from a five seed, probably one of the most dangerous wild card teams we've seen in a while uh, in the NFC. Shout out Dominic Daniele from Stanford, Connecticut, joining the live stream. Uh, Dom was our very first caller on StreamYard about a month back. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks dominated us with 12 plus players plus beat Carroll. So we will get to our last and final division. We will run through this quick and try not to harp and push the uh, emotional buttons too much. But NFC East team of the decade, uh, all decade team, Eli Manning at quarterback 2004 to 2019. Uh, Eli Manning had the most passing yards ever in a postseason in 2011. Always hold that dear to my heart. Uh, 2011 also, he led the NFL with five fourth quarter comebacks and six game winning drives. A stat ESPN will not talk about a uh, <laughs> uh, little bias there uh, Ezekiel Elliott at running back Ezekiel Elliott the only running back well him and LaShawn McCoy actually on that list wide receivers Odell and Dez Dez Bryant played for the Cowboys from 2010 to 2017 Odell spent five seasons on the Giants before breaking their hearts uh, okay we will get to him <laughs> in uh, about a minute when we're done with the offense Jason Witten at tight end uh, played for the Cowboys 2013 to 2017, spent a year in broadcasting on Monday Night Football with uh, Tessator, I believe. And then he came back to Dallas last year. Now he's an Oakland Raider, still looking to continue his career. It's kind of odd to see him in Oakland, now Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensive line, Tyron Smith, Brandon Brooks, been on Philly since 2016. Travis Frederick, who just retired. Zach Martin. Has not missed a start since 2014 and attended O-Line U. <laughs> and then Jason Peters, who is no longer a Philadelphia Eagle. I really like this list. 
on the offense. I think Zeke, uh, you know, he led the NFL in rushing as a rookie. Yeah. I think he definitely deserves to be there over Saquon Barkley. He's played longer as well. Yeah. Um, I would get – I'm trying to think. Would, would Bradshaw go in there? But I'm trying to remember when he retired. No, I wouldn't put Brad, – Bradshaw yeah. left would, the Giants. I wouldn't take Bradshaw on that list over McCoy or Zeke. No, no I would keep McCoy. I mean, I, I, it's a Cowboys running back, so I'm probably – my bias is, you know – This offensive line is – well, that, Sean, that's another thing. That offensive line is so good. That is it is offensive line. We'll get to that line in a minute. But Sean McCoy guys had twenty touchdowns in twenty eleven. Seventeen yeah. of them on the ground. Fun fact: they're over yeah. sixteen hundred rushing yards just a couple of years later. Yeah, I don't have any arguments with any of the skills players. My arguments come with the offensive line. Uh, I agree with all the Cowboys on there, but my argument here is Brandon Brooks. I think Brandon Scherf should be on this list over Brandon Brooks. Why? Uh, he spent first four years with Texans, and Brandon Scherf is a three-time pro bowler. I think he's a little bit more valuable than Brandon Brooks here. What do you guys think? Uh, you know what? I can I can yeah. see that also. I can I can see that also. When did Scherf – how long has Scherf been in the league? Scherf was in the league in 2015. I remember that because he was a pick or two before the Giants were supposed okay, to take him. And you know what? I would give it. Maybe the edge was Brooks won a Super Bowl. Maybe that might be a little bit of an edge, but Scherf definitely is like maybe like the sixth lineman, like the one that is a, can replace everybody. Overall mention. Yeah, but this is just. I mean, how that NFC East can produce linemen? It really can. Zach I mean, Martin, man. The Giants can uh, the Cowboys can produce Simon. And listen, though, maybe Andrew Thomas will be done the all twenty uh, the twenty twenty decade. I'm telling you, it's going to be very interesting because I'll be honest. With you, right now, the, the most the the two most consistent linemen on the Giants are Hernandez and Zeitler. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's improved now. You have them too. You have Solder and you have Andrew Thomas. You have got Matt Pert. So you know it's not it's not a bad team. Uh Let's get to the defense. So we have Demarcus Lawrence for the Cowboys, been on the team since 14. Fletcher Cox for the Eagles. Justin Tuck, who's on here as a DT. I guess they just wanted to put him on the list. They couldn't get him in as an end behind Lawrence or JPP. JPP was on the Giants for eight seasons. Linebackers are Sean Lee, Demarcus Ware, and Ryan Kerrigan. Kerrigan and Lee both still on their respective teams. Kerrigan representing the Redskins. Lee representing the Cowboys along with where D'Angelo Hall is on here. He was on Washington from 2008 to 2017. And D'Angelo Hall is joined by Dominique Rogers Cromartie, the only player in this division who played for three different teams during the decade, played for the Eagles, Giants, and the Redskins. Four years with the Giants. DRC has been on four teams throughout his entire career. Three seasons with the Redskins. I'm sorry, three seasons with the Cardinals. Four with the Giants, uh, two with the Eagles, and one with the Redskins. He was on the Broncos, too, I believe. He was on the Broncos Super Bowl. They didn't win the yes. Super Bowl. The one yes, against, you're, you're uh, right. He I remember one year. He's on five he, he one year in Denver. One of favorite corners to watch, but like, he just bounced around the league, but he was always good wherever he was because he was a pro bowler for the Cardinals and, I think, the Giants, too. Yep. yep. I, I agree. Welcome, James out of Philadelphia, and Landon Collins out of New York are the safeties. So, before I get to you guys, I want to say one thing. Malcolm Jenkins should not be here. He should not be here. I put my. Here's why. What's another safety? Uh, 
Entrell Roll should be on this okay. list. Entrell yeah. Roll did not miss a game with the Giants from 2010 to 2015 and made the Pro Bowl twice. Uh, was always near the team lead in tackles, and he had six picks in 2013. I don't know how you have Jenkins on. And look, don't get me wrong, Jenkins was a great safety. I think he's the, he's the third. But I think Roll needs to be here over Collins. Would you do Roll? So you would you would do Jenkins? I'm sorry. Uh, roll over Jenkins. I would put Roll and Jenkins. I'd bump out Collins. Think so? I would do that then because they both have Super Bowls. I mean, Collins was very good. Don't get me wrong, but I would I would think Jenkins and Antrell Roll would be the two safeties. Collins would be the third guy, inching a little bit closer. James, what do you think about that? I'll be honest with you, and again, this is not any Giant fan biased here. I think it should be Roll and Collins strictly based off of skill. Yeah, I would go and, with um, – also, the, the success they had on their team during the time. I would go mostly with skill. Uh, I would go with Roll. My argument with uh, Jenkins and Roll is that, you know, Landon, you know, he, he didn't get a second deal off his rookie contract. I mean, neither did Roll, but then, you know, he proved himself after that. Uh, I know Jenkins is Saints, Philly, now back to the Saints. I mean, it's definitely a good argument, but I do think Landon Collins – was a top three safety uh, before heading to Washington in the NFL. Yeah. It's debatable for sure. It's definitely debatable. Now, again, Josh Norman over Hall or DRC maybe for the Redskins? Mm, no. I would put, what about Janoris Jenkins over D'Angelo Hall or DRC? Janoris Jenkins. Uh, so the reason why I think DRC – should be safe on this list because he had that six-pick year that helped the Giants get into the playoffs in 2016. Mm. He was consistent wherever he's been. DRC's yeah. been a consistent guy, but if we're talking about top two corners in the division over the past 10 years, um, you wouldn't put Jenkins on there. Jenkins wasn't there long enough, in my opinion, and his ending with the Giants wasn't great. As where with DRC, it was more about money. Jenkins got cut before the season. Even That's ended. true, too. Yeah. What about Byron Jones? Byron Jones is a guy who I think could be more debatable than Jenkins. I think he gives more of a case to be on here than Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's in Miami, so that should be interesting how his mm-hmm. game translates with the defensive coach and uh, Brian Flo, Flores. So, but Coach Flo seems to have a good system going there in Miami. Uh, let's get to the special teams. Uh, Dan Bailey, kicker for the Cowboys. 2011 to 2017. I love this because, I mean, I love it, but if you make 94% of your field goals over the course of the year, former pro bowler too, you deserve to be there. I don't care like what team you're on now. I think he's on the Vikings, but uh, he was definitely one of the top five kicker in the league when he was a Cowboy. Tress Way is the pump there representing the Washington Redskins. Fun fact about Tress Way, guys, uh, he had the longest pump in the NFL over the last five years last year, he had a 79-yard punt, and he also had the highest average yards per punt in the NFL at 49.5. Crazy. I mean, if you're the Redskins, you're punting the football a lot, so it makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then the kick returner, punt returner, is Darren Sproles. Easy. Yeah, Very easy. Yeah. Didn't he just retire? Darren yeah, he just retired. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's definitely uh, a shame, but he's been around for a while. So looking at this list, guys, uh, we'll 
run across the head coach, uh, across the players of the decade, and then the head coach. So we have Tyron Smith for the Cowboys. That's an interesting one. He's been a starter since 2011. Uh, he, they probably refer to him as the glue of that offensive line. Him and Zach Martin, I think, are their top two guys. Eli Manning, Giants, makes sense. That one's pretty easy. Jason Peters for the Eagles, yeah. Uh, Longest-tenured Eagle before leaving last year. And then Ryan Kerrigan for the Redskins. He's been a force there, too, in Washington, a guy who's flown under the radar in, you know, quite frankly, a bad organization uh, up front. So and then the head coach is Doug Peterson of the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, he's been there since 2016. He's made the playoffs three years. The Eagles don't make the playoffs last year without Wentz and Peterson. I think Peterson is, was the best coach in that division. And when it came down to the stretch, Jason Garrett got out coached. Yeah. I agree. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And I think he has a really bright future in Philadelphia. Uh, despite, you know, I don't think they had the best draft this year, but I'm going to be honest with you. I hate how everybody's just saying the Cowboys are a lock to win the NFC East this year. No, they're not. They have an entire new coaching staff. They have issues now with Dak and his contract head over heels here. And look, I know they got Cooper, they got Jones, they got City Lamb. That's all great. But can the talent translate from being the most talented team in the NFC on paper or one of the, one of the most talented teams in the NFC on paper to, you know, a championship contending team? I don't think so. Not with a first-year head coach. It's very difficult to do, uh, especially after missing the playoffs last year. Um, but we'll see what happens. I just think Peterson gives Philadelphia an edge, regardless of who they have. Uh, but yeah, final thoughts on that, guys. Overall, this is a lot of fun going through all the, uh, yeah. the teams here. Uh, brought back a lot of memories of certain players, so I enjoyed. I enjoy doing these types of stuff, you know. James, you know, uh, this was fun. <laughs> Looking back, especially not realizing how many. Like we look at the NFC West, NFC. West, how many Seahawks were on there? You know, it's yeah. it's really cool to see how many teams have a consistent basis. It's nice. It's kind of, it's kind of like a trip down memory lane. A lot of these guys you don't remember. But um, all right, guys. So we didn't have Kyle Russo tonight, but we had Jordan Spurgeon for an hour. I thought he was great personally, bringing content as always. Uh, just a heads up. A quick announcement. So as a lot of our listeners and some of our viewers know, we take a month off pretty much every summer from the show. Uh, due to COVID-19 and not having any of the big four sports on at the moment, Review and Preview will take the next three weeks off, which means we will not have another live show until July 22nd. That'll be a Wednesday night. We will be back July 22nd, that Wednesday night, to preview the NHL and NBA restarts, and we will also provide an MLB update. The time is to be determined. Most likely we'll do 8 to 10, but I don't want to make an official concrete time just yet. I think it makes more sense because we won't have a break in August this year. So, you know, we're going to experiment with a new day, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Exciting. Just like with the NBA with the playoffs, let's uh, let's test out a few different things here. You know, let's test out a, like what they're doing a tournament. Let's test out Wednesdays, and if it doesn't, we'll we'll play around with it. So, definitely agree. Yeah, and I look forward to having Russo back as well. And we want to thank all our Facebook Live viewers for watching us tonight here at Review and Preview. 
Uh, you can follow us, like us here at Review and Preview Sports. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. Like and subscribe to our podcast on the anchor.fm slash Review Preview. Follow us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast. You know it. On behalf of James Montefusco and Fonz LaFalco, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long from Review and Preview on Facebook Live here. And you've been watching Review and Preview. Good night, everybody. See you soon.